0: Oh, so I could name myself like Channel Five Two Three Seven Four Nine. You could
1: channel Channel Mister Poopy Butthole. Got it.
0: <laughs> channel, channel Face. I'll make sure to
2: take a <laughs> screenshot of it when it says this track is named Mister Poopy McButthole, and say, and then add a little note there. says so, pointing to it says Kevin. Yeah. Kind of the way they annotated that Necron image. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or, or the way that like we've annotated the logo for the podcast.
2: <clears throat> hey. Yep.
1: Yep. Still not bitter about that. You know. <laughs>
2: Obviously not bitter.
1: (laughs) Hey, it's only been like seven years. I don't need to actually be included in
0: any of it. It's fine. (laughs) You've been included in our hearts, Cav.
2: Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that is supposed to be running a tournament right now, but pandemic. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin.
0: Kevin. Dennis. And Richard.
2: And yeah, this is episode 217, and in any normal world, this would be Memorial Day weekend, and we would be running Midwest Conquest 2020. Uh, but we're not, obviously. Uh, but... no, did Tau 1, right? Uh, <laughs> whoever you want, won. It... Oh, Whoever one, won in your heart is the true winner. The real winner was the friends we made along the way.
1: I'm going to say that like Nathan Martin somehow managed to pull it out with his iron hands over like
2: you know he's done say, that actually he did that. Bam- at, like, I'm going to
1: say I'm going to say he beat Bam in the finals. That's that's <laughs> how it went down in my in my in my with his space wolves. That's how it went down in my head.
2: To- total upset <laughs> over Ben Cherwin?
1: Oh yeah, yeah that worked. Okay, that no, that works.
2: Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> We got to give Nathan a consolation prize since his event has also been canceled. Yeah. Uh, but um, instead GW decided to dump a whole lot of topic for us to talk about because yesterday was the, their big Warhammer 40 K reveal that they had been teasing for about a week or so. And most people had pretty much guessed what it was going to be. And I think from our baseless speculation episode, uh, we had pretty much guessed, and so yes, there's a new edition of Warhammer 40k coming.
0: Ooh, surprise! Sounds okay. yeah.
2: Ooh. Yeah. I am Joe's absolute lack of surprise.
0: <laughs> but
2: I also would like to say that I think our baseless speculation episode ended up being quite spot on in a number of ways. Yeah,
1: it's almost like we knew it was happening, which we totally did. <laughs>
2: we, we totally didn't. We just. I think we were able to read the tea leaves a bit. Right. right yeah.
1: So. It was. Read it was the lines. It was that so obvious also-
2: that even us idiots could figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so uh, our main topic is going to be more talking about the rules changes and, and and what we think of what they've revealed so far. And again, they haven't revealed a ton, but we are going to talk about some of it. Uh, main and news and new releases. We will be talking about the presentation itself and the the like the new models and things that they they've been hinting at or, or showing. And then, uh, as always, your listener mail and ending the show with the morale phase. Uh, so let's get right into news and new releases. How about that cinematic trailer?
0: Okay, that was freaking amazing. And I would love to see more cinematic trailers of that quality from them.
3: I mean, it kind of reminds me of, of again, I, I draw that comparison to uh, – Wizards of the Coast and Magic the Gathering there for a while. They did a bunch of like CG like reveal trailers for their new sets.
2: Oh, god, The War of the Spark trailer that they did was phenomenal. And this was easily on par with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it also uh, – the, the uh, Space Marine captain with like the two service studs on his – on his temple or the uh the bloodied sister of battle that CG that they were showing in the earlier online previews. We now know this. It wasn't from like an animated series or episode they were going to do. It was from this trailer. Although yeah. I'd still love yeah. to see an animated series. Yes. No, an animated series like this. I, this also reminds me of like all the the intro trailers for like uh World of Warcraft expansions. Mm-hmm. And how like yeah. after mm-hmm. after one of those is over, you're like Blizzard, why aren't you making movies? It's <laughs> yeah. Probably because they have a crap writing team. But well, the they, graphics—they they made a awesome. movie and it turned out
0: bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, to, to yes. Be fair, <laughs> Blizzard also did that with all their Overwatch intros too, and they were yeah. amazing. And they had good stories. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. like, why don't you guys make these into a series or a movie? That would be awesome because you guys have the talent in creating great CG.
2: Yeah, and so. And so now we have Games Workshop bringing in really high end animation combined with their story writing team. So, and we know they're working on animated series, so we can expect to see more things. Maybe not in this style, although I, I'm with you, Dennis. I would totally love to see more. But mm-hmm. this style is amazing. Yeah, getting to see what a goss flare actually does to someone was pretty oh, impressive. Was, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: The the Maybe level of backgrounds. Like Well, the
1: level of brutality in this, like, because you see uh, a guardsman get vaporized by a Gauss rifle. You see the sister run up and, like, shoot a Necron point blank in the face. You see, like, someone use a chainsword to cut Necrons in half. Like, it's just, You see, like, there's a
2: sister, at the very end, there's a sister battle that gets stomped on by, Uh like, that big... three-legged walker monster and it just like the leg just goes through her and i saw somebody comments like this just seems too cartoony and not grimdark enough and most of the comments were in response like are you watching the same thing we are because (laughs) that was still pretty brutal (laughs) yeah
1: i i don't get where it was cartoony at all i thought it was awesome
2: (laughs) so it was definitely a good way to set the tone for this new edition and we know that the new big bad for this this edition we've moved away from chaos I mean chaos is obviously still a threat but now the Necrons are the big threat
1: yeah and I don't know what the hell that gigantic spider thing with like the the double gauss rifle and the the giant sword is but I want him because it looks awesome
0: version of a knight right
1: the
2: thing is he's not even the biggest thing they've
1: yeah
2: but holy smokes it looks awesome And uh, I'm going to bookend this by jumping over to the other big model that they kind of teased. The very end is that Silent King model,
4: Mm -hmm.
2: which that looked pretty spiffy. I love the fact that the whole like it's like looks like it's some sort of like walking or or possibly floating. It's Necron technology, so it could go either way. But like some walking dais with him and like some of his attendants standing on it. And it's powered by a Satan shard. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean it. It looks really awesome. I do have a concern though, <laughs> and it's not so much about the no- the the model or the models. Uh, it's more about the the storyline because I feel like they're kind of going back to the well that they went to for Age of Sigmar because Age of Sigmar first edition of Age of Sig- Sigmar villain chaos, like Archaon and chaos and having taken over and, you know, it's Sigmar and and the Stormcast Eternals fighting back and trying to reclaim stuff. And then the second edition storyline is Nagash, Lord of Death decides, no, I want to be in charge of everything. And so the big enemy has been the forces of the undead. And I'm worried, like, eighth, to ninth edition, eighth edition, who's the big villain? Chaos, Abaddon is trying to take everything over and and rend the Imperium in two, and it's Bobby G and the Empire fighting back and trying to reclaim stuff. And what's the second villain? The Silent King, the undead faction.
0: So you're saying they're they're testing things out in Age of Sigmar, and if they like it, they'll move it over to, to four thousand.
2: That's kind of how it seems. So, and I know it's not a one for one analog, but man, you know, it rhymes.
1: I mean, I will say this though: like from everything I've heard, Age of Sigmar 2.0 is pretty awesome. So. Eh? I yeah, don't no, care I, if it works.
2: I, I'm you know? I'm not necessarily worried about it too much. It just yeah. it's like it immediately struck me as like, wait a minute, I've read this story before. <laughs> I, I've I've seen this. And so and especially with them leaning into one of the other models they revealed, which is the new Necron Warriors, where they are really leaning into zombie robots. Yeah. I mean, I do like the new Necron Warrior models with the, you know, the fact that they don't look all pristine, that they are banged
3: up and damaged. Yeah, that was something that with with the Necrons that I was putting together was going to be kind of a thing that I was already going to do. And I was going to, you know, have to mod them and put like little scratch marks and and stuff in the models. And but yeah, I'll I'll, I'll want to eventually pick up a box of, of the new ones. They look cool. I will pass.
0: I have enough models.
3: <laughs> you know that's not true. Despite the oh, fact oh, you
4: have yes, thirty do.
2: KR <laughs> cases now,
0: <laughs> and, and Rob, that's not even counting the unpainted ones. That that
2: that
1: but is I mean, also the true.
0: The unput together ones. That's the one I meant to say. Okay.
1: No, I, I do really dig the new warriors though, because looking at the preview models they have, like up on the on the community site. Like they've got ones with like there's you know scratches and like impact marks in the head. There's dinged up legs. Like I think at one point they mentioned that like intentionally they they the wires and stuff were kind of like designed to look like entrails and stuff for like zombies. Like it's it's a really cool like upgrade and, and change to the aesthetic where like they're not drastically different models. You could still put things in a put them in an army next to the old warriors and the the aesthetics are similar enough to look. The same that they'll still be cohesive, but these new ones are a little more like hunched over, a little more dinged up, a little more zombie like, and you know, a little more terrifying. And I just think that's a really cool upgrade for the for the design.
2: No, I I agree. I think that the uh the design looks really solid, but I mean it but it's also not a deviation from what we've seen before. It's just kind of leaning into one aspect of it. And yeah, yeah, but and still working very well. Uh so no I, I really dig that. Um then moving on, we've got new assault intercessors. So we finally have an assault based Primaris unit that isn't Reavers.
0: And I think everybody is cheering. Hopefully assault's good, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I I'm I I know Blood Angels are gonna are gonna love it because you're just gonna be able to throw out a ton of attacks. I mean you figure in the extra attack from uh, their like super doctrine and the chain sword and everything. Yeah, it's that's going to be a very good option. It'll be it'll depend also on like what spot they fill if they're going to be a troop's choice or like a fast attack or elite choice. Hopefully, they're a troop choice. I'm going to guess elite, but I think they'd be awesome as a troop. I mean, they are just intercessors, so I would hope that they're a troop, but. And that, mm. that
0: could be a good assault thing, because I'm more looking at this from space wolves and I'm thinking intercessor assault intercessors as troops would be pretty darn awesome to make a primary space Wolves army. Agreed.
2: Totally agreed.
1: I mean like assault assault troops, you know, regular marine assault troops weren't troops. They were always fast attackers or elite or something. So I don't know. I I could see them maybe being troops for certain armies, like blood angels or for space wolves. But I would imagine they're probably going to be more elite. They're going to be in one of the other slots for the, for most armies, I would I would assume.
2: Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll and only time will tell. And uh, time-wise, we've probably got, unless they fast-track the release of the remaining three, we did get confirmation that Priya is the last Psychic Awakening book. So there's only three more to go. So unless they fast-track the release on that, we're probably looking
0: at September for this. Yeah, I'm still curious about Pariah since it has the sister with the harlequin, and <laughs> is he? Are they putting a bodyguard in there, or or is he technically Imperium now? Or I don't know the keyword work.
2: Yeah, don't know. Although one thing they did confirm during the uh, the Twitch reveal was that he, like a detail they brought up like the little 15 minute like pre cap like where they recap the last things have been revealed the last two online reels is that he is actually a psychic null so you have a psychic null harlequin which i thought a psychic null eldari is a really interesting detail yes but yeah i'm i'm yeah pariah also the fact that it's going to have sisters rules in it is and and that one will probably also have inquisition rules uh is interesting to me um But we won't get that. Engine War is probably going to go up for pre-order at the end of this month. So like in a week. Because now that's another bit of news that we can just kind of shoehorn in here is the factory is open again. So they can actually start making new product. So hopefully we'll see Psychic Awakening Engine War soon. And then we've got War of the Spider and then Pariah. And then we'll get Ninth edition. Um, They haven't announced a new box set to go with it, but in the FAQ they released for the new edition, they did specify that Dark Imperium is going away and that they haven't announced a new box set, but it'd be really cool if if they did and watch this space in the next few months. And I think it's pretty much been confirmed that it's going to be Primaris Marines versus Necrons. Yeah, which makes sense. And if one of the images that people have been able to mine out of the new Warhammer 40,000 site is accurate, it looks like we're also going to get Primaris bikers possibly in that box set.
0: That will be weird.
2: Yeah.
1: From like, I, I don't know if those images, you know, again, they're just images that have been kind of circulating, but if they, if they are, I actually kind of like the bikes. Like, I think they look kind of
2: neat. Um, Cause they're a little bit more like elongated. So, the the box, like, if this is what's in the box set, and it, it, it feels like box set models, if you look at it, uh, but the teaser image, it's got three Primaris bikers, five, like, heavy assault Primaris, where they've all got, like, really fancy storm shields, yeah. and uh, close, like, close combat weapons and pistols. There's what looks like a chaplain. It looks... Like a unit of Assault Intercessors, one, two, three, four, about, yeah, about ten of those. Uh, Looks like an Ancient or some sort of Standard Carrier. A unit of three Heavy Weapon in Primaris, which we haven't seen anything like that before. And then there's a model that I've seen, like, the 3D mock-up of, and he's got basically a sword that has, like, a flat tip instead of, like, a pointed tip. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And he's like carrying an hourglass, and he's got like he—he he almost looks like another chaplain, but not exactly. And I don't know if that's supposed to be like a company, a company champion, but he looks awesome. And so, like that would be the the space marine side, and that one looks—you know—especially also like one of the characters with the uh, storm shield has that because there's a close up of this particular model on the Warhammer forty thousand website. He's got a Volkite pistol, which is something that hasn't been seen since the horse Heresy. So we're definitely going to be seeing Primaris plus Heresy era technology mixed in. So that w- this would be a really interesting box set if this is what it is. And then the Necron side looks to possibly be... I see this, the picture they have here. I don't know as... M- but it's like... Looks like a couple of units of the new Necron warriors, or possibly one of Necron warriors, one of Immortals, some Scarabs, the big Walker dude from the end of the cinematic trailer, and some of those like three-legged Lich Guard looking guys, and then a couple of other things that I can't quite make. One looks to be a very tall Walker.
1: Yeah, it almost looks like the 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 Scarab, not the Scarab, the spider like it's based kind of off of that with like legs underneath it, which is interesting.
2: But yeah. So, and again, this is pure speculation on whether this is a box, set, but the, con- the number of models looks right for a box set. Uh, so,
1: yeah. I mean, it looks like there's about twice as
2: many points on the space marine side. So that, that checks out for a box that scans. Set. Yeah. <laughs> we can't have the villains actually having a chance. I mean, that would, yeah. <laughs> we just have to give the illusion that they do.
1: Exactly. But yeah, I mean, if that's the box set, that's that's, a cool, that's a, cool bar, uh, yeah. it's a cool box set. It's a good way to get
2: started. But I also want to talk about what is possibly the most controversial change they revealed throughout this entire presentation. And that's the new logo.
3: Well, as a graphic designer, I, I have some thoughts. You have feelings about this? Well, I mean... There, there are certain small elements that just bug me about the new logo, um, as, as just kind of on a it. It looks more techno-y than it looks gothic, which the old logo is very still in a kind of gothic style. That fits. I won't disagree with that, and and. And there are just some minor like spacing and and just a few ti- minor things that just bug me as a designer.
2: Like I I know one one that keeps getting brought up is that the R overlaps the interior line. Oh, I hadn't even noticed that. Yeah, the 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 leg of the R,
4: <laughs> just
2: the tip of it, just over. Uh, and then one also that gets brought up is that the A is not centered in Warhammer. How? However, somebody did a comparison between the second edition, third through eighth edition, and this
3: edition's logos. The A has never been centered. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it right now and, and the old logo. And yeah, I can, like, I can immediately tell that the A is not centered. That's, that's, and I I think technically not
1: technically the R over, over extends the boundary on the old logo too, like the interior.
3: Yeah. That is actually (laughs) true, but that that kind of boundary isn't just like a solid line that it crosses over
1: true yeah i'll give you that
3: (laughs) so it it just doesn't feel as refined as the the old logo i like as far as you know just relative use i'm like yeah whatever fine it's a logo yeah, I think
1: that's where I come down on It's like it's a logo. I don't know that I ever thought about the old logo that much. It it retains all of the design elements of the previous one. It's a little bit lighter, which I think makes it stand out a little bit more like when you post it on a webpage or if you put it on a hat is, or a shirt or is, something.
3: Yeah, that is an aspect actually that I do like about yeah. it. Yeah. Is like the 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 specific graphical elements I, I don't like the style of but like the the color choices and and like the lightness to darkness to it is okay like the the fact that the old logo the background portion of the logo is you know really dark into black and I'm looking at a whole bunch of the boxes that uh, I have on my shelf over here. And I'm like, "Mm, all of them are actually a black logo on a black background. So (laughs) like, like the words stand out because they're bright, but like the rest of the logo actually doesn't stand out. And I think with the, the new color choices of the new logo, That is actually an aspect where it improved. There's just a little bit of like kerning and tightening up like that that you would want Uh, done on this version. I mean, those are minor things. I I think the, I think there's, there's more of a stylistic, you know, the change is the thing that bothers me the most. Okay. That it, that it's kind of more technoy modern in appearance than the gothic style. So. Is, is I think the, the real, like, more the real issue that I have on it.
2: I, I, I could see that. I, I, I think I dig it because it, it definitely feels, because it does feel more high-tech and less gothic, I feel like it differentiates itself from Age of Sigmar a bit more strongly. So I, th- I, I, I like it in that respect. But I, I can see what you mean, that it does basically... Kind of discard the grim dark nature of of the older logos. Yeah. Uh, that said, that like reading some of the commentary online, you'd think that the graphic designer for Games Workshop personally came in and kicked these people's dogs.
3: Yeah, it's it's a little, yeah, it's a little much. But I mean, that's what the internet's there for, right? Is to complain right. about things yeah. that don't matter. Like, yeah, so
2: we can't have outrage. What can you have, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's, again, we're we're trying not to get into the rules discussion until uh, until the end. Although, I guess this one kind of, uh, this bit kind of bridges the gap between the two. But I think I'll go ahead and bring it up now because it's not purely a rules discussion. And that is the fact that they also did announce a new app.
0: Yes. yes. Which and I'm more. excited and concerned about at the same time.
2: So... Okay, so uh, what are what are your what are your concerns? I guess well, let's just get the concerns out of the way first. What are your concerns about the new app?
0: My concerns are they compared it to the Age of Sigmar app, which I think when we looked at that their army builder in the Age of Sigmar app, it was not great. It didn't have all the features that we wanted to see that we're used to seeing in things like Battlescribe and whatnot, and I'm concerned it might just be something where you pick your army and you have all of just your power levels. And that's that I'm hoping it's not that, but they referenced it's like the age of Sigmar app. That's where that concern comes in. And I'm I'm hoping they go past that.
3: I, I have a little bit of, of reliant of relief from, I had those kind of concerns too. Although you have to consider that age of Sigmar as a game doesn't have a lot of those same features and little right. fiddly bits that 40K just has they like they're not in the app cuz the game just doesn't have them
4: mm-hmm.
3: right so when they were talking about it on the Twitch stream it it w- it seemed to me that they were like con- consulting with Mike Branch on it right is yeah. that 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 is yeah. the, the feeling that i picked up the guy who runs nova open yeah i kind of trust him to like be able to guide them in in a direction that would be actually a useful app
0: <laughs> i will agree with that and and that's where i've got my hopes because he he knows 40k he knows building lists he know and they said something about keeping your collection there and i'm Like spitballing here, but I'm guessing that you'll be able to put customizations in it based on what they kept talking about campaign, so you could keep your campaign characters in there as well, or campaign, yeah, characters. Because I don't think troops would really improve in campaign. Um, So I have I have all these things that I'm like hoping for. I just wish they had not have said Age of Sigmar in their comparison.
2: Um, Now, to be fair, uh, they. The, I've used the Azure app, which is what the, the Age of Sigmar app is. or the, It's the Age of Sigmar app, and then Azure is their army builder portion of it, which uh, the Azure part you subscribe to, but it's super cheap. It's like $10 a year. That system for for building Age of Sigmar armies is actually really comprehensive because um, it allows you to do things like Okay, here's the size of the game. We're going up or down by 250 points. Basically, like, kind of doing what they do. Stand like have marked out in their general's handbook. But it's like, like you, we're playing a 2,000 point. Now, actually, we're going to play a 1750 game. Okay, um, I'm or we're going to play a 2,000 point game. I'm going to spend an extra 50 points to get an extra command point, which you can do in Age of Sigmar, and then like it lets you build all the units in the unit block sizes that you do in a, in age or yeah. In age of Sigmar, uh, gives you full access to all the relics, all the warlord traits that are command traits that they have in, in all the books, um, give you granularity on se- selecting like, okay, yeah, this unit's got a champion. This unit, I mean, it does all the things that, a- that, uh, age of Sigmar does and through a pretty decent interface. Uh, so, I have a feeling like if you brought that kind of thinking that it this game, this app has to let you do all the things that you can do in building a, a 40K army, I think I'm pretty comfortable that it'll cover that. I don't think it's going to be like the roster editor they put on their website that really was just a straight up, yeah, this is a copy of the Age of Sigmar when we just put in 40K yeah, that's, stuff. That's, that's good that enough. Be, exactly. Right. And no, I don't – I really doubt this because they've also had a number of years to really figure out – no, people actually generally play with points. Power level. Power level the outlier more than anything. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of things in the FAQ about this that I particularly liked – or no, it wasn't even on the FAQ. It was on the reveal site, uh, on the reveal page on uh, Warhammer Community – and I'm going to just read this verbatim because I think it's a very important note for people to hear because it it would be easily be something that is kind of lost in the, uh, in the discussion. Okay. So alongside the new edition of Warhammer 40,000, there will be a rad new Warhammer 40,000 mobile app. This is going to be the most comprehensive digital support any of our games has ever had. Expect to find an army builder rules for your collections and more. So you can travel light on your way to game night. We'll have a lot more to say about it soon, but for now, there's one thing we've been asked for more asked for more than anything else in the last three years, aside from the lion riding a Thunderhawk. Can my digital codex come bundled with my print version? Well, Noble Hobbyist, yes. Yes, it can. Whenever you buy a ninth edition codex, you'll get the digital rules for that codex in the app for free.
3: Yay Yes. (laughs) That is is
0: huge. (laughs) And it's been what we've been asking for, for ever since we started digital stuff.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And the idea it's like, yeah, you can just, you buy a print codex and you'll get a code for the digital version. And I imagine they'll have a way in the app to just say like, I just want the digital version. Like I imagine they'll give you a a method to buy it directly there. Whether it'll be priced any differently than the print version. I would Mm -hmm. imagine like five, 10 bucks more, maybe. Uh, I I imagine the digital only version would be probably comparable. Oh. Yeah, digital s- only version.
0: I thought you were saying th- 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 them including the digital make make the prices go up a little bit.
2: I I don't think I don't think it will. Okay. But I also think that they'll make the di- the digital only version cost the same as the print version because they don't right. want to cannibalize <laughs> their print sales. So yeah. yes, I can see that. Yeah. But then it's like, do you do you need to have a physical book? Yes, no. Um, if you don't, just buy the digital version. It's the same price. And then it's like, oh, it's the same price. So if I buy the print version, I get the digital one free. I, I could see it. I could see the price being different, but I could also see them being the same. But but just the sheer fact that if you buy a print version, they're just going to give you the digital version. Love it. Absolutely <laughs> stoked about that.
1: So you actually mentioned one one thing in that, like potentially the prices adjusting, which actually made me think of something else that GW announced, but has been kind of buried in the deluge of everything else that's coming. Uh, uh, yes,
2: the price they, increases.
1: Yeah, they are doing a price increase in June. Haven't said exactly when, um, but they basically did say that, yeah, the prices have adjusted due to everything that's going on and the fact that the prices haven't changed in a while. So, on the, the GW website, I think they have, I want to say something like 400 items that are quote unquote featured, um, where you basically will, I'm pretty sure those are the ones that are going to get earmarked for a price increase.
2: Yes. And they said, yeah, from the 1st of June. So start, okay. So yeah. starting like next week or not, or the week, it'll be like a, a few days after this comes out. So on yeah. June 1st. 400 products will change in price. There are well well over 3,000 items available right now, so less than 10%, or or not less, just over 10%. Just over 10% of this is going to go up in price. Uh, uh, Most of the items that are changing haven't moved in price for years. Uh, Even so, we wanted to give you a heads up so you have a chance to pick up anything you were looking to add to your collection ahead of the changes. To make this even easier, we collected all these items together and put Pop them in one handy place over on gamesworkshop.com. I I understand why prices on some items are going up. Mm-hmm. I also love the fact that they're telling you, you can buy it now if you don't want to pay that increased price. Here, yeah. Here's the full list of everything that's going to go up in price. If you want it now at this price, here's, here's the date that it's going to go up. You've got – Because when this this went up on May 21st, so just earlier this week – uh, so yeah, you basically got like a week and a half to buy it. Old GW would never have done that. <laughs> they would never. <laughs> I mean, they would yeah. raise the price and just like let it, you know, left it for people to discover when they're when they're doing like restocks and such.
1: Yeah, and Australia would have gotten a twenty percent.
2: Oh, Australia uh, probably yeah. still yeah. getting like a, a huge increase, <laughs> but I mean, that's that's just what you get for living in Australia, unfortunately. So,
1: <laughs>
2: but, but uh, yeah. Like-
1: looking at like what they have on the site, like it's, I would say a little bit of everything. It's some newer models. It's some older models. It's, you know, some like items like paint and carry cases, some things like individual characters, dreadnoughts. So it, they haven't said what the price increase will be. So hopefully Um, it won't be very
2: much. I have, I have seen, uh, there is a list that somebody has posted. I can't remember where I saw it. But it had some – it might have been on Blood of Kittens, but it had some of the price increases. And a lot of it is to – it seems like it's to kind of harmonize prices. So, like, all character – single character models are roughly the same price. All unit boxes are roughly the same price. All large vehicles are roughly the same price. And so, like, in most cases, it's a 5 maybe $10 increase. It's, okay. it's not gigantic, but it, you know, it is enough on some of the units to make them more, you know, to, to make a noticeable difference. But at the same time, it's like, cause I think most standalone characters are going to start skewing towards 40 bucks. Most unit boxes are going to skew towards like 50 and it's to make the, so that the prices on the older boxes aren't, like I said, just completely out of, out of line with newer ones. As like I think one was like the Furioso Dreadnought for Blood Angels is going from like fifty five dollars to sixty, which I mean again not a lot of these aren't huge changes, but you know you're buying an army will add up. But again, giving the advance notice for people is is a huge difference from what they would have done before. Yeah, absolutely. So on the one hand, it sucks the prices are going up. I totally get that, but. I am all for full transparency on, hey, we're raising the prices on some units. You might want to get it now. So, but yeah, the, you know, so those prices are going up, but then we're getting it. We're getting an app, which is fantastic. Also, you know, mentioned Mike Brandt. Congratulations to him for uh, becoming head of tournament event promotion for Warhammer Community. He's officially part of the Warhammer Community team now. Yeah, I thought that was pretty awesome. And he had he had some interesting things to say, which again kind of leans into more of the rules discussion. But and so we'll talk about there. But especially regarding missions and mission design. So uh, we'll leave that discussion for the second half of the show. But um, but yeah. So there's just a lot of neat stuff coming down the pipe. And uh, yeah, and also there's a Black Library is kicking off a new book series that covers the ongoing storyline rather than revisiting older storylines and they seemed very excited about having a storyline where the the end like they know the overall story arc but the story arc like where it ends is not known to the public yet as opposed to like horse heresy where we know the horse heresy ends with the emperor being mortally wounded and horse being destroyed and
0: well, Horace Heresy was more kind of like a prequel to the setting, but we didn't know the details. We knew the outcome, right, not the details. So it, it expands on all of that,
2: right? And in this case, it's the outcome isn't even known yet, though. So we get right. to see the details and the outcome. And with the first book uh, being written by Guy Haley, who is also apparently taking the lead on that. And Haley's a good writer. Uh, I really liked his uh, book, The Devastation of Ball and Dark Imperium. Were both were pretty good. So. Uh, I feel like you – know, and they're working – he's not writing all of it. They have They said just like with Horace Heresy and Beast Arises, they've got a writer's room. So they've got a whole stable of people that are going to be working on individual novels. But it sounds like it's going to be in good hands. So uh, if you are a Black Library fiction fan, definitely take a look at, at these. And they said they want to cover like all aspects. So it's not going to be just like all Space Marines all the time. There's also like they're going to talk about like the sh- – fleet captains and guardsmen and stuff like that. So um, it'll cover the whole gamut of of Imperium forces. And apparently it is about the, at least this first book is about the Indominus crusade. I don't know if the entire series is about it, but it seems like it's going to be more about like the changes that are happening right now, going into the new edition and what happens with that. So, uh, As far as other news and new releases, I mean, they've been teasing some of the Mechanicus stuff. We'll have more about that when Engine War comes out. and We can talk about that then. But uh, I think, minus the rules discussion, I think this is pretty much everything. But that was a big everything. Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) So we will transition over to listener mail. As always, these letters are written by you, the listeners. And at the end of the segment, we'll tell you how you can get your letter read on the air. Our first one is from Colin Fairs. Colin writes, afternoon, preferred enemies team. Something for the hopper. Phobos Armored Space Marines. How do you prefer them? Covered in their chapter colors? Not very stealthy. Or having some kind of camo color scheme? Very stealthy. I am painting my Phobos Marines in camo colors as they are meant to be conducting espionage and sabotage missions behind enemy lines, and I personally feel that bright ca- chapter colors, reds, blues, whites, etc., wouldn't make them stand out too much. What are your thoughts on this? Keep up the good work. Colin from Aldershot, UK.
3: I have not picked up any Phobos yet, um but... I, I feel like it, it would be, yeah, more appropriate to paint them in a camo, you know, pattern, but I like the idea of like maybe taking a, a quote unquote chapter color and putting it in there, but then like, you know, toning it down to like the darker like version. Like, so like if you are playing ultramarines it wouldn't be the bright ultramarine blue it'd be like a really dark blue i can see that's just doing like a more muted tone yeah
2: yeah because that's and that's always been one of the things that's kind of weird about like space marine scouts because they have a similar problem in that their carapace armor is like they're they're colored like skittles And (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah it's like you scatter a bunch of skittles on the battlefield yeah there's one there's one There's one. There's one. Um, Which is why they have
0: Eldar Rangers is they have cloaks modeled on them so you can actually paint the cloak the camoed color stuff and still keep their armor craft world colors.
1: To some degree there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance needed to have like, hey, this eight and a half foot tall space marine that stomps around with a a, a 75 millimeter vulture that explodes when they fire it. uh, Yeah, he's going to sneak up on you. So I'm already like, I'm already putting that aside to be like, Oh yeah, these guys could sneak up on you. It's not a big leap for me to be like, yeah, they
2: paint him to look like the rest of the chapter.
1: So I also I'm not good at painting, so I can't do camo, but,
2: <laughs> I, but I don't you could know. Do I, a, but you could do a more muted. Like if you wanted to do your Phobos, like, yeah. And, like if you did your, like, let's say I'm, I'm painting blood angels Phobos, which I have some blood angels Phobos, uh, models i will probably end up painting them in the bright red anyway just for consistency sake but I could totally see uh painting them in more of like a flesh terrors red than the blood angels red
4: yeah just, I can see that.
2: yeah or or even doing like some of the orc camo patterns where it's camo but it's very brightly colored <laughs> yeah
1: i i get i get why they do it and like and I think the camo if you can do the camo and you have a really cool idea for it you know, especially if you can, like I said, incorporate the muted colors from the, from your chapter into the camo pattern. That's really cool. If you do like, if you want to do a, I guess it just kind of depends what you want to do. Like if you're trying to do like a, uh, you know, for example, like a predator style. And I think of that cause the new Katie and captain that's basically is, is, uh, uh, Carl Weathers character from predator came out uh, yeah. from the store models. Like, say you want to do like, a jungle like themed army and where like they are going to be like sneaking through the jungle. And stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Go, go in, paint it, camo, make it kind of the theme of the army. And that would be really, really cool. But I think if you're just going to splash in some Phobos into like an existing army, I, I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Like I would paint them to make it look like to make them look like the rest of the army or, you know, some variant of the rest of the army. Cause I, again, like I'm already getting over the metal block of Dean's, you know, seven and a half foot tall warriors stomping around in power armor or trying to, finger quotes, sneak up on anybody. So the fact that they're also brightly colored Skittles doesn't doesn't bother me.
2: However, I will say, if you're going to go with a more muted color pattern and you have, like, Raven Guard or Black Templars, I'm going to put in a requirement that you paint your army in Vanta (laughs) Black. So they just look like a negative space with a head floating on it. Oh, oh, that's that's
1: certainly an option.
2: <laughs> I want to see a space marine army, or at least a space marine model painted in like one of these pure black, Vandal- oh. like true blacks, where they d- it reflects no light whatsoever. Edge highlight this, you bastard! Oh my god, <laughs> no. Uh. Okay, Uh, yeah, my my ideas are bad, and I should feel bad. I don't, but I should. should I really should. All right, moving on. Uh, Drew Davenport. Drew Davenport writes, hi-ho, P enemies. It's Drew once again to help fill the hopper. I got a couple of questions for you guys that might also help other listeners. First, it's back. That itch. The feeling you get browsing the internet for just too long doing research to see what armies do, supporting your local painting community. It returns that itch that us gamers can never quite get rid of and flares up at our most weak, that itch to start a new army. I was talking to a coworker about Age of Sigmar armies and skeleton hordes were brought up. I then made the mistake of looking at some, up some of their rules, then the models, then made some lists, and now I'm in a pickle. I really want to make an Undead Legion, but I don't really have the space right now, but I have some armies that I haven't really played in a long time, and I have too much of the same look and feel. Six different power armor armies of various sizes is probably too much and in different stages. I love my Grey Knights, but they're lower on my paint priority and would love to get to them. However, there's just too much ahead of it for me to be happy with them. Should I sell them as built and primed or should I paint them up to possibly get more back on them as they would be done for them? Uh, What would you guys do to say goodbye to an army? And, And when do you think it's the right time to get rid of an army? I know we all have a problem here, but we've all had to do away with models at some point for some reason or another. Sometimes things haven't been touched in so long. It makes you wonder, do I need this for the foreseeable future? I'm sorry if this is a bit of a dour question, but maybe it'll help someone else stuck like me, having so many little men staring back at me. Hope everyone is still doing well. I'm excited for these last few psychic awakenings and this last preview at the time of writing and to leave on a happier note, an actual fun, a non-existential question. Is there if there was to be a new addition or update to the game, are there any old mechanics you would like to see return? I like the idea of spending points on leveling up your headquarters your, your HQs for stronger abilities like first to third level psychers. Of course, I didn't play in those times. Maybe it was bad, but it sounds like it could be cool. Uh, that's all for today, and I wish you well in these Nurgle days, Drew. Uh so when's the right time to get rid of an army and how do you say goodbye to it? That's a Someone please tell me because I need to know. <laughs>
0: well, I mean I think this is probably a timely question for all of us cuz I'm actually having that small thought process cuz I've been picking up all of my minis as I'm getting ready to like hopefully move soon or in the next few months. And it I got me thinking is like especially now where I'm not playing which armies when I get back would I want to play? Which would be the draws? Which are the ones that are just going to sit on the shelf without being used? Um And it's hard because then, like, what's out to me the most is my um, Death Watch. But I really like them. And so it's like, how much space are they taking up? Do you want to use them? Do you want to get rid of them? And at least my answer for Death Watch right now is they take up one, maybe two boxes other than the flyer, the flyers. But I like the flyer. It looks cool. Um, So I don't know. As for, like, should it be painted, not painted to get rid of it? I think most people, at least when I see things online or ebay or any of those i actually prefer unpainted um just because even though i'm not someone who paints regularly i still want to be the one to paint my army which is also why i don't really hire out people to paint armies for me because i like the feeling of me painting it myself and so if i were to go buy stuff which i have done in the long past on some eldar figures 10 years ago or so um but yeah, they were either unbuilt or they were only built and primed was the, as far as I got. Cause if they had been painted, I probably would have stripped the paint to get them to match the rest of my collection. Um, I think, so that's where I would be stand on, on if you were going to sell one.
3: Yeah. And from the standpoint of, you know, uh, a, a painted army and selling a painted army, I don't really feel like the amount of time and granted it it varies from person to person on how much time they spend painting and you know the the quality thereof will vary from person to person but for the most part unless you are talking about like really high-end painted armies I don't really feel like the the amount more that you would get for a painted army is necessarily worth the time of actually painting the army.
1: Yeah, I think I would agree with that. And you're also once it's once it's painted, you're also cutting into the amount of people that would be interested in it. So he yeah, mentioned the
2: price is going to go up for one thing.
1: Well, that, but also he mentioned um, you know power armor, so. Six different power armor armies. If you have a assembled, okay. So if you have an unassembled box of Intercessors, you're actually probably going to be easy. To, it's gonna be the easiest to sell because it's not assembled. You buy the box, you can assemble it any way you want. Build it for whatever you want to do. You can paint it however you want. Uh, next, you know, the next step where you have it assembled but not painted is going to be the easy, the next easiest to sell because somebody can then take that. I don't want to build, I don't like building it, but I want it painting. They can paint it however they want. If you have a unit of intercessors that's painted up to be blood angels, somebody like me who's going there like, yeah, I really want to pick up a unit of intercessors on the cheap for my salamanders. They'll see that one and go, oh, well, even at 20 bucks or whatever the price would be, it's not worth it because I then have to go through and change it. So I'm not even going to look at that. So you are cutting into the amount of people that would be interested in buying it by having them further down the line of being completed. Now there may be people that are looking at this exactly for that specific completed army and they will probably be willing to pay more than somebody else would. So it's, it's that sliding scale of, you might get more for it, but you're cutting into your, your market for being able to, to being able to potentially sell it.
2: Yeah, no, very, very, very true. And, like, in some armies, like, there's a happy medium, like, for example, Grey Knights. If he's got Grey Knights, build them, prime them, and spray them silver, and then sell them, and yeah. let and let the people who are buying them figure out how much detail they want to put onto them, and that will take you very little time, and it's Grey Knights, so people are going to buy silver Grey Knights. They're they're not going to have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, that,
3: yeah, I can agree
2: with that. But uh, it, it, it depends on the arm Like, the minute on, like... J- more generic power armor because gray knights are kind of a special case it's like custodes if you prime custodes and spray them with retributor armor no one's going to bat it's custodes are supposed to be gold nobody care you know nobody's gonna make a big deal about it but um but yeah the minute you lock in a color on a power armor army you've locked yourself into an a a more niche market and that's just that's just the nature of it um so now, what would you guys do to say goodbye to an army? Um, as someone who has painted several armies purely for the purpose of giving them away, I don't get as attached. I mean, I still like my armies and I still try to put care into them. And, and I think it's also funny that I bring that up because Drew has my old uh, Black Templar's army. He won that at last year's Midwest <laughs> Conquest, which is one of the reasons why he has this problem is I've given him an army to have a problem with. But- <laughs> You can see, if I can't be part of the solution, I will absolutely be part of the problem. Um, But, uh, you know, sometimes saying goodbye to an army, it depends on where it is in the process. Like, at one point, a few years ago, um, there was another 40K podcast called LP and the Man, and they kind of decided to get out of the game, and one uh, one of the hosts basically bundled up a whole bunch of like, priority mailboxes with models and just said, okay, here's a, like, and like basically, like, here's, like, a box of this faction. Here's a box of this faction. And, like, you could just basically say, yeah, I'll buy, yeah, just give me a grab box of this. And so I got a grab box of uh, Imperial Guard. And at the time, I was like, yeah, I'm going to build a guard army. Maybe I'll build a Traitor Guard army. And And, like, there was a flyer, like, there was, like, a a a vendetta or Valkyrie in there and there was like a couple of tanks and some infantry and like some Kazarkins and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna totally I'm gonna totally build a guard army. And then the more and more I looked into it, the more and more I was just like, yeah, this is just not not really what I'm wanting to do with the game right now. And I found and I hadn't really done any work on it yet. So it was really easy to sell because it's like, yeah, here, have the grab box that I bought. You know, here it is all bundled up. So sometimes it's, you know, you realize that this army just isn't clicking for you. Um, and actually that happened with me with uh, World Eaters. I mm-hmm. had gotten a little bit burned out on Tau being just shooty. So I decided I will go just as salty as a contrast. And I just didn't enjoy World Eaters just didn't fit my play style. And so I found a local sucker to sell it to, and uh, that has changed his uh, trajectory on the entire game, hasn't it, Kevin? Yeah, that guy's an idiot. Yeah, totally shouldn't have bought that. What a a fucking tool. (laughs) (laughs) No, No, but but it's like I found, (laughs) but in, in all honesty, you know, I, I, you know, I found that this, like an army didn't fit what I wanted out of the game or didn't fit what I wanted out of the game anymore. And so, yeah, it's like there comes, there come points where it's like, yeah, this is just not my style of army or, and sometimes something can be like, not your normal style, but it's a nice contrast, but that was way too different for me. It would be like me, um, join, it would be like me, uh, taking on a horde army. Horde armies are just not my type. I, and I don't think I would enjoy playing it. So if I ended up, if I got a bug up my ass sometime to start a uh, a horde army, I would probably get about as far as I did on the guard army. And just like, nah, nah. And then find someone else, probably not Richard because he has enough of them, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would find, you know, I would just find some, someone to find it. And, and with my Templars, uh, the reason I, I put my Templars up for the raffle last year. Was I, I loved my I loved painting my Black Templars army and in older editions I loved playing it. Um but eventually it's just like especially once I got Sisters and that was the army I really wanted to play, then I didn't feel as much need to have my Black Templars anymore and at the time I think they're a bit better now with some of the changes that have happened but in early eighth edition, they just didn't do what I needed them to do, and it just wasn't fulfilling. So sometimes, when just army just sometimes an army just stops gra- scratching that itch, and at that point, it's fine to just not have it anymore. It's fine to find, mm-hmm. especially they'll you know, find somebody else who will enjoy it more than you do. There's no sense in hanging on to something just out of sheer stubbornness, necessarily.
0: And Rob wasn't yours, also. You needed more space. Partly because I keep accumulating other things, and that, that's uh, also one of my concerns with mine is I'm going to be going to a smaller space, and I'm going to have to see how much stuff actually fits.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm having starting to have that problem with card games now. I somehow managed to acquire around twenty thousand Warlord cards. I don't know what happened, and a few thousand <laughs> Magic cards, <laughs> and, and yeah, I've got, uh, like a I've had to that's move more,
0: terrain. you don't need.
2: I, I'm sure I can find somebody, take them, but uh, I, I've had to move some of my terrain to our convention storage unit because, A, it's mostly used for the convention anyway when we can have those. And, P I needed the space for card boxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I Me and the stupid project thing. I have in mind, but which I'm getting closer and closer to actually... Recording something for, but yeah, just sometimes you just reach a point where it's like, yeah, I need either I need to downsize or this isn't working for me. Like it sounds like in Drew's case, size is another one of the issues. He has like six power armor armies and he he wants to do something new in a different game and he just doesn't have the space for it. Yeah, that's a totally valid reason to just be like, okay. Which of my armies do I not really play anymore? And it can feel like a Sophie's Choice kind of thing, where it's like, which of these beloved things do I love a little bit less than the others? So it's not always easy, but yeah, sometimes it's okay to say goodbye to an army. It's okay. It's okay to sell it or give it to somebody or donate or whatever. It it's okay, and it it will happen to everyone from time to time. As now onto his. His less existential question on old mechanics we'd like to see return. I think I kinda wanna save that any discussion of that to the second half, because that is more apropos and there are a couple things that are coming back, so Yeah. So we'll save that for later. So yeah. so so Drew, we'll move we'll 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 see if we can circle back to that one in the second half of the show. Uh, next one, Luke Sutherland uh, writes, uh, I am relatively new to the hobby, have been at it for a decent chunk of 8th edition. I found I am a lot better at planning lists and playing the game than finishing painting models. I've watched a lot of videos and feel when comparing to my friends' models, I paint pretty well, but very slowly. One of my big problems is I reach a point in a model where it's about 80% done, base-coated, washed, maybe a single high- highlighter dry brush – and I just lose interest and want to move on to the next model, often losing cru- crucial areas like basing half done. This often leaves me torn between finishing a model and starting something else. I and mean, sometimes I even just stop painting for a while. How do you motivate yourself to finish models? Am I aiming too high? Should I be going for simpler paint jobs? I've attached a photo of one of my more recent paint jobs so you can see the standard I usually aim for. Uh, and he uh, attached a, pic- a picture of a solitaire that he's been painting, which looks freaking awesome to me he looks great yeah. to me. yeah
0: he's, he's a better painter than is. i am i'll put it that way definitely better and better than me too
2: <laughs> um and so like the thing is like the the standard that he's he's hit here like if this is i know i guess that's the question this is the standard he's trying to hit and i guess he's saying that he gets about 80 percent there and then kind of stalls out also the fact that it's a harlequin harlequins are a far more finicky army to paint anyway if you're getting into like all the details um but uh like how do you motivate yourself to finish models am i aiming too high should we going for simpler paint jobs if i would say if you find yourself consistently burning out on painting a model then yes i would i would go for i would simplify your paint jobs a bit or or get your maybe bring your standard it and again, I don't, I'm guessing this is, this is what he considers a, a complete model, which again, looks fine to me. Um, it's, you know, it, figure out like at what point in the model painting process, it seems like it's in the details is when he starts to stall out. And so, yeah, maybe work on getting the basics done, like get your base color, get your wash, get a a dry brush, do your basing. Stop there, and then go in later if you want and do detail work. But get the models, like get the models, you know what they call battle ready, ready or tabletop ready. Get them there, and then decide if you want to go in and touch them up more. Is what I would recommend. And if if he's consistently hitting that burnout,
1: yeah, that's that's yeah, that's a really good suggestion because, Liza, I think this. My goal for painting is to make it good enough where when it's sitting on the table, my opponent looks at it and goes, well, that isn't crap. Um, and that's, you know, I, I, I find painting to be kind of tedious, uh, and I don't really enjoy it. That's the part of the hobby that I probably enjoy the least. Um, but I, I want to make sure that my army looks good and I get it to a certain point where, you know, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't at least like embarrass me when I put it on the table, but, you know, so that's kind of what I do. Like I, I try to build a list, or I try to you know build a list for an event and get that painted to tabletop standard. And then, as I've said multiple times, like oh yeah, well I'll go back and I'll finish this later. And I've got a case of models I'm looking at right now where I'm like oh yeah, I should go back and like finish touching those up or doing this or that. But at least getting it ready for a, a game or for an event is typically what motivates me to get stuff painted. And I try to usually just go for that tabletop quality where it looks good. Maybe a little extra on some models, but that's that's all I'm shooting for. I'm just shooting I'm shooting to get as much out of painting as I can without having
3: to get into like all the tedious parts.
2: And and Richard, you are a self-described slow painter. Do you hit this kind I, of burnout?
3: I, I I am very familiar with with what Luke is describing here. And I I do have to just take long breaks and like, I mean you remember when I went up to um, up to Minnesota with you guys, and like I had I had I brought my Orc Army with me, and you know, we're sitting there in the room and I'm like, this army's not done, and I pull out all the models. And I think Kevin, your reaction was, why aren't these models done? <laughs> that may also because been- they were painted. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. No, that's- and, and they were, and they were, you know, basic, they were like three color, but like I hadn't like painted all the details on like hardly any of them. So like that was one of the things is like I, I, I do have to try and like do what Rob has suggested, which is just try and get those three colors on there and, and then and then move on to something else and then when i get that feeling of oh i want to i want to do i this model and like I, and i'll do it just kind of on a a model by model basis of like i really like this model and i've got it painted to to basically three colors but like I I want to do the details on it, and so then I'll I will spend the time to, to do the details on it, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so slow. But it See, it, I, it is a struggle.
1: <laughs> I subscribe to the uh, what of you know, the the philosophy. Of what's your favorite paint scheme? Done.
2: <laughs> the old uh, jaded gamer cast.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, what what what's your paint scheme for this? Finished. Like it's it's done. I'm probably never going to paint this again. It's, you know, I, cause that's, I like having painted armies. I like the end product. I think that like my death guard army and I think came out really well. I like the way my alpha Legion army looks, but I also really don't enjoy the painting process. So I'm probably not going to go back and work on them after, after they're finished. So it's like, you know, I got them done. That's, that's enough for me.
2: Now, I think it also depends on if you're talking about painting like, single like single character or kind of showcase models or if you're painting a unit like if i'm painting a character i'm gonna spend the extra time to make sure i get all the details because like that model is going to draw a lot of attention anyway but if i'm painting like and granted I, i don't hit painting burnout necessarily that much But, uh, I, I have, there have been cases where I've kind of like stalled out or I've, or a lot of times it's because I've had to switch to painting something else for some event or other. But, um, but yeah, I, I find like if I'm painting a unit of troops or something like that, yeah, I will, I will batch paint. I will get them up to a certain point and then try to make sure I have like all my army up to a certain point. But again, the like three color, like three color base, Maybe a quick dry brush and then make sure their basing's done. And that that's good enough to field. And then if I want to do any more touch-up later, I can. How often do I go back and do that touch-up? Very rarely, probably. But usually getting those three bases and then like the three-color based or washed based, and then maybe like a couple of quick details. As long as the paint job's relatively clean, that's good enough in in many cases. So um yeah, it just it may be a matter of either bringing your I don't want to say bringing your standards down because that sounds that sounds like yeah, just do a crap job doesn't matter. But, you know, lowering your expectations as far as like going like going for the simpler paint job, going for not as complex a piece barring like I said single characters or showcase models. Um, if, if you're having that problem and especially it sounds like Luke is just hitting that problem consistently over and over again, yeah, just simple, just, you know, go for something simpler. And like, like you said, Richard, it's okay to take breaks too. Like sometimes you just hit a point where it's like, yeah, I just don't want to right now. I've just kind of, I'm, I'm painted out and that's fine too. All right. Next from Ben Osborne, Ben writes. Hi Robin crew. I recent I've recently, with the lockdown, gotten back into 40k after about ten years playing historical war games. I've been listening to your show and that has given a good insight into the current ish state of the game, obviously subject to change with the news today. Anyway, on to the questions. I have dived back in with Tyranids, an army I struggled with painting back in fourth edition days. Being colorblind did not help, I suspect. But now with an airbrush feel I am getting better. But looking over the lore, I've been looking at Hive Fleet Ouroboros, and hence looking to include some winged creatures. The core of army I have at the moment is a unit of gargoyles, a winged tyrant, and a harpy currently unassembled, so could still be a hive crone. I also have three raveners, a trigon, and an exocrine, but I could do with advice on where to go next in theme in terms of where to go next in terms of both theme and effectiveness, troops obviously, and which Hive fleet rules would be the best matchup to the winged nightmare theme of
3: Ouroboros? Many thanks. Regards, Ben Osborne. I, I actually, for, for something like that, I feel like buying some warrior boxes for your troops to have added like, you know, synapse support. Would actually yeah. be a good idea, and then you could also, you know, convert some, or or even get the Forge World wings and and do some some strikes. Although, I mean, those are still uh, legends now at this point, but I still like them. But it, it definitely still fits with that that winged theme. So it'd be neat to have, like, maybe just a unit of them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I I would I would probably suggest warriors for for specifically for the troops and like you're probably going to you'll you'll probably want more gargoyles cuz like, yeah, one unit's not enough. Yeah. Yeah, you'll you'll want a couple of probably decent sized units, probably like two two, two 20s. I I think are 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 pretty good. Yeah,
2: and a second flyer is also not a bad choice. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, you because, you, again, you need to blanket the table with as much synapse as possible. Warriors will help with that. Fly Rinse will help get that where you need it. Yeah. Uh, if you've got a Trigon, possibly run it as a prime if you need to. Yeah. Now, as far as, like, Hive Fleets, um, actually using uh, some of the build your own Hive Fleet from... Uh, Blood of Ball might not be bad, because there's one that particularly jumps out at me. Membranous Mobility. Uh, The Hive Fleet Sky Swarm bioforms evince an unusually complex web of membranous tissue, allowing them to weave and jink with such astounding flexibility that carefully aimed blows can easily pass through thin air. When resolving an attack made with a melee weapon against a model with this adaptation that can fly, subtract one from the hit roll.
3: Yeah, that's pretty nice.
2: And then you could pick one more on top of that with See a flying army is usually more shooty than
3: a salty. Yeah, particularly considering the the gargoyles really don't have much in the way of close combat. Uh, Let's like see. Ability. Th-
2: um, there's
3: adaptive exoskeleton,
2: termigant, hormigant, and gargoyle models of this adaptation have a six up and vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, and I know most of their weapons are assault, so hypermetabolic acceleration, when you know this adva- adaptation advances, you can reroll the advance roll. So they're moving – they're going to be moving even faster. Or Morphic Sinews uh, – or no, that one's only on monster models. Never mind. I mean, it still allows them to not suffer any penalty for moving and firing heavy weapons or for advancing and firing assault weapons. So that could still be good,
3: especially if you have DACA Tyrants. I mean, or – It it, if you if you take the advice of of the warriors for your troops, metamorphic regrowth.
2: Oh yeah, so they're regaining one lost wound at the start of your
3: turn. Yeah, in a in a lot of armies, you know, that's just going to be the monsters. But like with warriors, that's actually pretty good.
2: Yeah, that no, that is actually a good one, and it's also it's great for your your HQs too. So yeah, no that those those together would be pretty yeah mem- uh, membranous mobility and metamorphic metamorphic regrowth would be both really solid yeah yeah i think that might be like I, but i like if you're going for a custom high fleet i would definitely look at the blood of ball ones and yeah they have a couple that are really geared towards flyers so or and, and as richard's I guess, warriors really a good choice here so that would be our recommendation for going for uh orboros and then finally, a letter from Plane Show. That is the name I have, Plane Show. So, hi there, guys. Long before the introduction of Psychic Awakening Greater Good, I'd been disappointed with the playstyle of Tau in 8th edition. They just felt significantly less mobile and dynamic in their current incarnation. Yes, the Tower very competitive right now, but I feel the rules and units that make them good also make them boring and uninspiring to play as and play against. Which is a shame, because I do find their lore and models right up my alley. I've bemoaned to you in a previous email how I dislike savior protocols and shield drones and how it's a fun sapping rule that too, that's too good to not abuse. And I feel that's another problem with the current towel playstyle, which I will not disagree with. <laughs> um, now that we've had a good while to digest the greater good, I'd like to build a towel list that focuses on breathing some fun back into this faction for me and my opponents with the COVID situation. Playtesting is not an option for me, and I've gone down the rabbit hole of list building and brainstorming that has me loopier than Masters of the Forge. I need outside <laughs> eyes and opinions, but I'm short on Tau players in my group, so I could use some feedback. I'm mostly a casually competitive player, so I'd love to hear any thoughts, ideas, or feedback you could help me with. I started by defining these goals. One, more mobility. It's so tempting to want a turtle in Tau as Tau in eighth, and it's not... Fun for enemies to dive into a static gun line. In 7th, I felt Tau moved naturally, and ironically, like a school of fish, and the movement phase was often their strongest phase. I know the top Tau players that do interviews still say it is like that, so maybe an average player like me just needs something extra or specific buffs to help with that. 2... Fewer shield drones. I don't want to get so anti-savior protocols that I flush drones completely. After all, they are a big part of the Tau flavor. Maybe using other drones like marker or gun will make a more satisfying experience for tactics and maneuvering, while also still giving my opponents a more tangible feeling of progress when they eliminate them. Rather than just measuring how many more ablative shield drones are left to grind through, taking out marker lights or large pol- quantities of pulse carbines, I think, would be more satisfying, even if you don't down the battlesuit you were targeting. Three, no triptides. Uh, fire, uh, far side enclaves, commander spam or nine missile sides. Pretty self-explanatory with this in mind. I just started to start with custom set tenants that fit this mold. Stabilization system seems to be a natural fit and encourages movement and frees up a support system slot on battle suits that would go to target lock. My second choice was a toss up between hybridized weaponry and turbo jets. turbo jets. doubles down on battle suit movement buffs, which gives me a clear direction for a suit heavy list. Hybridized weaponry is great for stealth and crisis suit weaponry, but I don't have any Breachers, vesper, or Hazard suits who would also work great with this tenant. I landed on turbojets and decided to go with the suit heavy list. Here's what I came up with. So, 1st Battalion. He has notes like why he's taken all these, so I am I actually really appreciate how this list has been put together for us. So, Battalion 1. Ethereal on hover drone. 50 points. Leadership buffs for screening and advancing troops. Uh, Cold Star Commander with 3 missile pods and extra minus 1 AP. Uh, 100, 141 points, a maneuverable, highly accurate ranged firepower. Three units of 10 crew. Unpopular pick in most lists, but the 7-inch pregame move makes them a decent forward screen, mostly just playing f- mostly just paying 15 more points for 3 units of Fire Warriors to get twice the bodies. Ethereals help with leadership and gives them 6 f- uh, six plus feel no pain or roll, re-roll to advance. Uh, Riptide with heavy burst cannon, two smart missile systems, minus 1 AP to all weapons, plus 1 hit keyword fly... Units. so he's got advanced targeting system and uh, velocity tracker uh, four crisis suits plus eight marker drones, three suits with uh, two, uh, two missile pods and advanced targeting system one suit with air bursting frag projector uh, for the reactive countermeasures relic uh, and then uh, the two plus ar- the iridium armor and a invuln save and a drone controller the relic lets incoming shots the model is tanking ignore up to minus two AP with the long-range missile pods, they can start on the field or deep strike and also let me reserve the bulk of my Markerlites if I'm going second. Uh, two Firesight Marksmen for 25 points each. Cheap character-based Markerlites hit on 3-up. Three, uh, three broadsides with Magna rail rifles, smart missiles, and uh, shield generators. 294 points. I really love the Strength 9 and minimum 3 damage upgrade. Six shots of that will hopefully make rail sides be decent. It should also be nice having broadsides that can move and shoot. So I'm not... I'm not so sure if I would give them the shield generator or plus or the velocity tracker, but I'm trying for fewer shield drones. So I went with the durability buff and then battalion two, cadre fire blade, 42 points, cold star with qu- uh, quad fusion blasters at 146, three units of five fireworks with rifles, pretty standard battalion filler for HQs and troops, two ghost keels with ion rakers, uh, dual burst cannons. Uh, the advanced targeting system, shield generator, and dual stealth drones, which they come with, 144 points. Ghost Kill's ability to infiltrate can help seize ground before deployment, and their mobility lets them flank and retreat if need be. They don't pack too much punch, but maybe fusion blasters would be better over burst cannons. If I took fusion, I would scrap the minus one AP buff for plus one to, uh, for the velocity tracker, and it's only plus four points per model. Um uh, Three stealth suits with two shield drones and burst cans. two units of those at 86 points. More infiltrators that can hide out of line of sight better than the ghost keels and get cover as their infantry as well as battle suits. They're also able to infiltrate shield drones to give the ghost keels a little extra staying power. Have I sacrificed too much firepower and durability for maneuverability and positional play? Am I missing any key components? What would you change? Do you have any completely different ideas to build a tower army to make it more engaging and fun? Thanks, great show, and stay well, plain show. For me, uh, this, I mean, I'm i like. I'm a big fan of ghost kills and stealth suits, so this is um, right up my alley. Uh, I generally take fusion blasters on, but burst cannons with minus 1 AP are also good, so I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Uh, the, the shield generator is a must-take on the ghost kill, though, so definitely agree with that. I don't like... I don't know if the one unit of eight marker drones that get bundled in with the four crisis suits is gonna be enough that that but also I understand if you're trying to actively get away like I would actually probably switch them for I would probably switch them for gun drones personally i you've got the two firesight marksmen so You've got some you, you've and you've got a fire blade. That's three, two up or three up marker lights. That's generally enough. So I'm fine. I would not like. I could even see trying to figure out a way to get another. I mean, you've got s- slots you could put in. I would. I would honestly probably go three marksman. But I'm trying to figure out what you would drop for the extra twenty five. you could probably. S- Gim a little bit on the crisis suits a bit, but I know you're trying to uh, suit heavy and and just so we're clear on the custom set tenants that they selected. So stabilization systems from resolving an attack made by ranged weapon by made with a ranged weapon by a battlesuit with this tenant model does not suffer the penalty for moving and firing heavy weapons, which is really only going to impact the Riptide and the. Ghost keels. Um, all the other weapons, like on the crisis suits, are uh, assault because missile pods are assault weapons. And then the other one was um, turbojets. Which oh, we missed. Oh, wonder if he's talking when oh no, turbojet. Sorry, they're not in alphabetical order because that would make <laughs> sense. That would make sense. I'm looking at the end. I'm like, where's T? Oh no, it's the beginning. Okay, so, and then turbo jets uh, add one to advance rolls made for jetpack units with a tenet. Add two inches to the move characteristic of jetpack models with this tenant. So yes, yeah, so if you're going for mobility, turbo jets is definitely the one to go. Hybridized weaponry adds four inches of range to assault and grenade weapons, but honestly, the extra movement is more than enough to to make up for that. So I think I think turbo jets is the better choice. Oh, I guess the stabilization system will also work. Yeah, it's also work for the broadsides. Forgot he's got the inner three broadsides. So there's only, so it's basically the Riptide, the broadsides, and the Ghost Keels will get benefit from stabilization systems, which does free up a slot. Yeah, it doesn't have to take target lock, which is good. Yeah, I, of the ones that are available and with what he's got built, that is those are probably the best ones to take. The only other, the only thing I could also see would be, um, instead of one of those, maybe taking, it depends on how many, it doesn't, like, you end up changing the crisis suit build out to take more burst cannons, but since it's got burst cannons on the ghost kills, upgunned wouldn't be a bad one, because you've got with between the stealth suits and the ghost kills, and if you swapped the, uh, crisis suits to, uh, burst burst cannons instead of missile pods which do a bit more damage but upgunned and then with the minus one ap they'd be at ap minus two which would be still fine yeah i think i mean those are both options it, it just it's taste for flavor so one question
1: that i have that you probably are a little more qualified to answer than i am because i haven't played with the model or the new rules with the amount of stealth suits and like ghost keels in here would it be worthwhile to try to include Shadow Sun? I know that she doesn't work with the custom set tenants, but she also doesn't break them. Like you know, and I just wonder if there's any abilities that might be better than. I, I really like the Cold Star commanders, so maybe dropping like a Fire Blade and trying to save some points somewhere else. Would that would that be worthwhile?
2: So the problem is with Shadow Sun. She, I mean, yeah, she, like. She she she'd be the only she wouldn't be gaining any benefits from these, but she's also not using any heavy weapons and like she wouldn't get benefits of turbo jets, which is a little bit sad because she'd be she would then become like the slowest suit in the army. Yeah. Um, But. uh, I mean, the only thing you'd really she would get benefits of stealth suits being able to take wounds for her. Uh, She could still hand out buffs from her command link drone because that just uses Tau Empire unit, not specifically Tau Sept. So she wouldn't be bad, but I think for what they're trying to do, a Cold Star is actually better.
1: No, I was just wondering because I know that that she's, I think, 127 points. Something like Um, that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, has some really cool abilities in there. I just wasn't sure if that would synergize with the list. Like I said, over maybe like dropping one of the fire blades, or like the well, yeah, so you don't want to drop the ethereal. Like maybe dropping the cadre fire blade and trying to save points somewhere else on like you know save another eighty points somewhere off of like weapon upgrades or something. But
2: yeah, I was just wondering. I didn't. I mean I, this this yeah. list is already like it's pretty tight. There's not a yeah. lot of there's not a lot of fluff to to trim in this and still go with. Yeah. With what what they want what they want, so um, I I mean, like I said, other than maybe playing around with the the like either playing around with maybe putting more burst cannons in, but like the the dual missile pods and minus one AP that are also they're strict that basically they're auto cannons, which is not a not bad either. So no. definitely this is great.
1: Well, and yeah, then not having
2: funny. to have line of sight also. No, you have to see No, not smart missiles. Oh, well, that's They're not no smart missiles. missiles, you're right. Yeah, they're you're smart right. Mis- They're just missiles. So they're just auto can. So yeah. but they're all, you know, crisis suits can, you know, they can fly, they can um they can deep strike, so yeah, cri- you know, they're fine um the the marker drones with them and the drone control like the the fourth suit in that unit almost feels like another commander more than uh but it's also cheaper including it in the unit so I get, I get why they did so I mean I think this list is definitely going to be playing the mobility game and I think I, I under like the fact that they provided all the uh the reasoning for. Uh, why they took each unit that really kind of helps get into their head is like why these Mm -hmm. choices are being made. So going with this strategy and and with the limitations that they placed at the beginning of more mobility, fewer shield drones, and they didn't run no shield drones. I do like having them with the stealth suits and infiltrating them. That's actually a really good play. I like that. Um, And with like no triple riptides, no nine missile sides, this, I mean, I would play. I I would totally see playing this list.
1: Yeah, and like about it. Like the big question was, you know, did I sacrifice too much firepower for mobility? And I don't think so. I, I don't think so because with the ion raker and the the amount of like auto cannon shots that you have and the the rail rifles, you're still going to be able to take down big characters, big big units. You've got the ability to take out flyers. Um, you've got a lot of anti infantry. So I don't think like it's not as much firepower as it could be but i don't think you're going to be lacking in firepower
2: oh no no not at all i mean like for example those magna rail rifles which is the prototype weapon upgrade Mm -hmm. for the for the broadside rail rifles heavy two uh, 60 inch range heavy two strength nine ap minus four d6 damage yeah and I would with a minimum of three. Like on that's those, great.
1: on those. I would absolutely go with the four plus plus, not the not the plus one to the fly units. Yeah, because honestly, a strength nine rail rifle against a flyer is way way overkill.
2: And you know, the fact that there's already you know you, the you've already got the velocity tracker on the Riptide with heavy burst cannon. Yeah, I mean, because the thing about flyers is you're not going to take them out generally. It's not like the old rules where you take them out in one shot. You still have to wear them down, and the Riptide being at full mobility because of the uh, stabilizing sy- stabilization systems, and then st- not having any penalty against the flying unit—great, absolutely fantastic. So, yeah. and then at minus one AP, yeah, that burst can is going to chew through a flyer, yeah, or anything it- else that fly, you know, has fly. Yeah. And
1: I think as well with, you know, that's also what your marker lights are for, too. So if you absolutely need to, you know, be able to hit something that that has the fly keyword, they used to hit it with marker lights first. So yeah, I I would, I would much rather go with the, uh, with the, the, the survivability on, on the, the broadsides than, than the, than the velocity
2: tracker. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So, so yeah, I, I, I think this list would, it would be, It'll be a very interesting uh, variant uh, of Tau. I would have to, like, again, kind of, we can't play test right now. So, like, I'd have <laughs> to see, like, I'd have to see how it performed in in games. But it's like, I'm seeing it's got shooting for big targets. It's got shooting for hordes. Because you've, between, like, the Cadre Fireblade, three inch of Fire Warriors, Kroot, um number of burst cannons in the army, stuff like that. You've got stuff that can deal with, like, hordes. Um, how the heavy burst cannon, you just uh, like uh, Nova charge, or heavy burst cannon will put out a re- withering amount of firepower too. So you can, you, you can deal with those. You've got things that can deal with flyers. You've got your screening. You've got it. You've got just enough buffs around to really help. It seems like it's got all the bases covered, how well it would stand up to something like uh, a, in the place of like a triple riptide list or something with that had a ton of shield drones I mean it. It depend. Like, yeah, technically, the triple riptide with lots of shield drones might do better competitively. But also, as Plain Show pointed out, what kind of army are you wanting to run? And if that is not the army that Plain Show wants to play, telling them to play it is not going to to give a satisfactory experience. So this seems like it would be a good way to play the kind of list that they want to play. Yeah. So. I agree. Yeah, and and that's that's the goal of this, and I I don't see anything major that I would change on this list. I think I would I would I would play this as is and see where it lies and then go there. This is all of course with a caveat of in three months, what is while this list would still be valid, what's good in this list may completely change. Mm -hmm. Uh or also the dual battalion may not be a requirement in the future, as we will discuss in uh in part two, but if you have a list you'd like us to look at, or a letter you want us to read, or a question for us, or uh, comment on something we've said before, uh, there's three easy ways to get. There's three easy ways to uh, get that to us. Uh, first is email. You can email us at our first names at preferred enemies. So Rob at Kevin at Dez at Richard at preferred enemies or we have a Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Preferred Enemies. Uh, you can like us there, follow us, and catch updates on all the things that we are doing, working on, news, etc. Or third is Twitter. We are at Twitter.com slash Preferred Enemy, singular. And we take comments and questions from all three of those sources. We collate it together. We throw it in the hopper, and we try to get through as many as we can in an episode. This does empty out the hopper, so if you want uh, – A letter read on the air in your next episode. Uh, This is now the time to get it in. And with the new edition being announced, I imagine there's gonna be quite a bit to discuss. So uh, feel free to get those letters in and we will get to them as soon as we can. Uh... In the meantime, we do have a Patreon. Uh, however, as I've said before, not actively supporting it or pushing it right now because we'd much rather you put that funds towards helping out in your local area. Because despite the fact that the world is starting to reopen and whether you think that is premature or not, it does not change the fact that uh, there are plenty of people in who have been affected by this uh during the dur- in the duration so uh if you can donate money to help first responders, help with supplies, help with food banks, etc, that is a much better choice than uh putting money in our show funds right now. We are doing great. Uh we have new microphones for everybody. We've got our hosting covered. We're not going anywhere, so our travel funds aren't being spent. So we're good on money. So uh help out those around you uh before uh you Look, but I mean, if you want to, you can, but we'd much rather you spend that money in a uh, place that will help more people directly.
1: And additionally, if you really feel like you want to donate towards something that helps the show and helps us, we are still doing the Midwest Conquest GT Wounded Warrior Project fundraiser. Um, So we got, I think we have about a week left on it. Yes. Uh, So go over to facebook.com, Midwest Conquest GT. There is a link to the to the page. Please help us donate, collect money. We're not doing the event this year, obviously, so we still wanted to try to help out whatever way we can. So um, it's also on the Preferred Enemies Facebook page. We've you know we shared it
2: around. So yeah, uh, I'll, I'll post it again. Yeah. Um, we are currently at about ten percent of our goal. Uh, we we did set a goal of fifteen hundred, which is about where we were what we hit last year with our raffle. And I understand mm. there's some people who. Either they don't, aren't going to have the money this year or, you know, part of the reason they, they bought tickets was because it was a raffle and they won an army. I get that, but I figured I'd put the goal up there. But whatever people can can donate for that cause uh, is a good one. We we just don't want this to completely interrupt our ability to help out that charity in a, in a time of need. Because, again, yeah. just because the world is on pause right now does not mean that people's needs are on pause. So uh, please help that help out with that yeah that is it you can go to facebook.com slash midwest conquest gt click the fundraisers link and it is right there and you can donate and uh, we'd really appreciate it if you do so we're going to take a break for sponsor identification and when we get back it'll be time for our look at the rules announcements for ninth edition see you in a bit
3: miniatures we build them we paint them we love them
0: that's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely and that's
2: where KR Multicase comes in they offer a complete model storage and transport system
1: they offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures as well as custom cut trays for specific models
3: kr's trays are made of a soft foam available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models and to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily
0: stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags,
2: backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built
1: tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular
3: force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase case has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out
2: more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase. Soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed
0: rubber based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to
3: alien deserts, there's a game mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding
0: board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu
1: and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game mat, giving your armies the
2: battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and for one of the first times ever we're gonna start our second segment with news and new releases, because it's apparently in the last hour while we've been recording more there's been more news and new releases <laughs> um so uh starting off uh the potato cam that had taken pictures of some we talked about some like blurry images of what we thought might be like maybe this isn't what's in this the new box set, which we don't know if it's in the box set or not, but they have shown high-quality close-ups of all a lot of those models now so we can r- reveal a little bit more about them
3: so and, give, and put names on some of them
2: yes yeah, yeah. we can actually call stuff uh so well we are always calling them stuff but we can actually call them meaningful names now
3: like whoop
0: there it is and what yes. is
2: that and what necron necron face necky
1: necron face out <laughs>
2: So, okay, so the big three-legged Necron construct that you see at the end of the cinematic trailer and who we've seen a small, a relatively small model, uh, picture of the model, is called the Scorpec Lord. And yes, he looks to have, like, a double gauss flare, a hyperphase sword of some sort, and or actually they say he's got a flensing claw and an enmity annihilator. Hmm. And he just looks awesome.
1: Yeah, uh, super cool. Looking.
2: <laughs> we have confirmed that the uh, the Space Marine character with the Volkite pistol, and they confirmed that is indeed a Volkite pistol, is a new Primaris Lieutenant.
1: <laughs> of course, it is because I think that was on the the Primaris Lieutenant Twitter page yesterday. It was like, look, new Lieutenant, and I'm like, eh, that's kind of funny.
0: <laughs> so, so, Kevin, when's your Primaris Lieutenant Army coming out?
1: Uh, Soon as I decide to assemble it,
2: <laughs> and then. Uh, <laughs> A, a nice high res image of the very grainy Necron picture that was being shown earlier, like very, very pixeling, damn near undecipherable. And there's some really cool Necron stuff to be spotted, such as the whole model for the uh,
3: Silent King hanging out in the background. Yeah. I think it's
1: gigantic.
3: Yeah. When I saw, like, the, the, The teaser at the end of the stream, part of me was kind of hoping that they might do, like, actually start doing kind of like they do with, like, the Forge World ones, where you have, like, the big, like, decorative thing, but then, like, the model itself would have, like, a kind of a separate base that you they could come off of, but that doesn't look like that's going to happen.
2: No, no, that is just one... Big floating dais that he is standing on right there. Yep. And then he's got, like, the two floating, like, monoliths. Like, not, like, Necron monoliths, but these, like, large blocks of, like, Blackstone or something floating alongside. But it looks like they're on separate bases, so... Yeah, I'm
1: not what really sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And let's see, some of the other things. There's a, the Scorpec Lords right there in the middle. There's <laughs> the the thing that is marked, is that a Satan? I bet it's a Satan.
1: Is most definitely a satan.
2: <laughs> also, with the note, look at the size of that thing, because it is huge, and it's flying, and it looks like the entire model is suspended on thin little wisps of plastic electricity.
0: <laughs> that one I do think looks really, really cool.
2: Yeah, that one looks pretty badass. But I'm uh, guessing,
0: like um, the Avatar, the incarn, it'll probably be very, very spindly and and frustrating.
2: Oh, I'm sure it will be, but those models also always, I mean, when they're, when you pull them off though, they they look fantastic. Let's see. Um, we see some of the new, uh, Necron Warriors. Uh, there's some Immortals scattered throughout there. And some of the models like we've seen before, there's like, uh, there's a Triarch Stalker in the back. Uh, there's some Lich Guard up, or no, those are Praetorians up front. And then there's the new Monolith or what looks to be a monolith kit, it's got the same basic design as a monolith, same weaponry as a monolith, but we're actually seeing, like, the Eternity Gate is modeled instead of just being, like, a piece of clear ripply plastic. There's actually, like, electricity and a warrior, like, half-modeled coming out of it. And then there's the big, like, four-legged, looks like War of the Worlds walkers.
1: Yeah, those look really cool. And looks like there's a couple varieties. There's one that looks like it has a gigantic... Uh, oh, I forget... I forget what they call the cannon now, but the, uh,
2: the one that's on like the annihilation or
1: yeah. The one that's on like the, Anni- the, the, the doomsday Barge. arc. Doomsday arc. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's a gigantic uh, Tesla cannon. I think is what the, I think is what that is. And then there's another one that looks more like the, uh, just looks more like the cryptic spider, which is interesting.
2: I don't even but, know if those are, those may or may not be the same kits. It's hard to tell.
1: Yeah, it's... One it maybe up, bigger kind of, than
2: the other, oh, yeah. yeah, you're right. One
1: is actually... Yeah, that is quite a bit taller.
2: Or it could just be further in the back. It's hard... It, it The scale... The perspective's a little bit tricky to pick out on this one. One of them is almost
1: as tall as a monolith. That seems way bigger than the other, now that I look at it.
2: And then we've got, like, these big barrel-bodied Necron constructs just behind the... Like, between the Warriors and the monolith. Not sure what those are. It looks like
1: right... In front of them is a new uh, Overlord model. Yeah. Or a Necron Lord model because he's like way like taller and spindlier. Mm hmm. Next to him is the gigantic destroyer with the Gauss rifle.
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think we are finally getting plastic heavy destroyers. Oh,
1: it's about time.
2: <laughs> yeah. With the note, I can't even, what the? I can't even, yeah. <laughs> and all the Gauss.
1: Also, I was looking cuz the nice thing about this is that you can zoom in and like get really good in here without like uh, losing detail. Directly behind the monolith and between the between the monolith and the gigantic uh, Tesla cannon is something in the background. I'm not really sure what it
2: is. Oh yeah, I see what you mean.
1: Yeah, I I don't know what it is. It's got like a white head and it looks like it's it looks like it's kind of like the 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 three-legged Lord, you know, it, it looks like it's kind of like that, but it looks a little bit different. So I'm not 100% sure if he's just an alternate pose or if that's another model, another unit. But, yeah, there's all sorts of cool stuff in here.
2: Yeah. No, it's – there's a cool – and, you know, when, when they came out with, like, the, the Doom Scythe and Night Scythe and, like, the Triarch Stalkers, I remember a lot of the chatter was like, wow, this kind of has a, a War of the Worlds, like, Ancient Aliens feel to it. And I, I mentioned earlier that I felt like they were kind of leaning heavily into the, um, like the undead zombie robot theme, but it seems like now we're seeing them kind of leaning into both of those, mm-hmm. like the combination of like zombie undead robot, but also war of the world's alien feel. So it's a neat fusion between the two. So maybe they've pulled that off. I'm, I'm digging what I'm seeing.
1: Yeah. I definitely like the new aesthetic.
2: Yeah. See, and then they showed us more pictures of the assault intercessors. Look good, very much more dynamic uh, Primaris models than we're used to seeing, which is good.
1: Yeah, and and I will say that, especially with the the unit that we're about, that's like right after that. I think I'm going to take back what I said earlier. I think these guys probably are going to be troops because these do look like intercessors just kitted out for combat. And then the blade guard veterans look like you're dedicated, like elite melee unit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we've got the blade guard veterans who all have uh, power swords and storm shields. And yeah. they look amazing. They really um, do.
1: So I love that kind of like cross style storm shield that they have. Cause it's kind of similar in shape to like what the, uh, what the death watch storm shields look like. And I just, I just love that design. I think it's just such a cool looking design aesthetic.
0: I totally no, agree. that's one of the reasons why I really like Death Car- or Death Watch because yeah. the storm shields look that way.
2: Well, and I also kind of like the idea of a storm shield being large enough to kind of block your entire body
0: rather than ah, just, like your nice.
2: arm and chest. Ah,
1: I've played I've played T and D long enough. I know that a buckler is just as good as a heavy sh- tower shield. Come <laughs> on.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I do think those look cooler. <laughs>
2: Also, we get good close-up views on the Primaris Outriders, which are those new bikes. Yeah. They look like big old chunky bikes.
1: I I like how they look. Like, I I don't know. I just, I like things like, uh yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not a really a huge fan of the existing bike look, but things kind of work for me. I don't know.
2: The vibe, it's a little bit different than the Horse Heresy Outriders. Mm-hmm. But, some of the aesthetics are, are, I mean, it it's consistent with the idea of a an up armored old school space marine bike. Yeah. So, but the fact that they're premier Sight riders does also kind of carry that legacy of the horse heresy forward, which makes sense with Bobby G being in charge now.
1: Yeah, I think I think one thing I noticed that I like about them is that they they seem to uh, not set up as high. Which I think is a, I like that design study more. Like they seem like they're a little lower to the ground. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just I actually really like these. Like more I get to see these, I actually really do like these bikes.
2: And then finally, we get a brand new model, like a new marine type called the Judiciar. <laughs> it looks an cool. entirely new space marine with an executioner blade. Speci- yeah. Specially designed for lopping off heads, which makes me think like the uh, the, ex- the master executioner for Chaos Space Marines they did, kind of yeah, thematically. Although, although way cooler looking. Way cooler looking. And with like, the giant hourglass that basically says, your time is up now.
1: Like to the point that if I were to make a master of executions, I'd probably buy this model and convert it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so much cooler.
2: Uh. So, yeah. They're, the the new models that, like, showing us the, the close-ups on these is uh, – these are some really awesome models, and, and I think the line's in good shape. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the fact that, like, somebody, like, spots, like, a real low-res, you know, potato-quality image, and then GW, it, like, comes back the next day with, like, oh, no, here's the good version. You should look at the good version, which then makes me wonder – did they put out the the crappy version in the first place just to get people talking?
0: Awesome. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Although part of me wants to kind of see some Space Marines now with just like arms and legs put on potatoes. I mean, like their own forty k version of Mister Potato Head.
2: I do like I like the idea of that, and the the picture at the top of the article is great. I mean, that would make
1: my building my Triax stalkers a lot easier if I could just plug them into potatoes. Think
2: about that anyway. <laughs> See, and did I already do the uh, new the pre order? No, we have not talked about the pre order, we talked about that before recorded. Okay, yeah, and then uh, the other thing is that uh, pre orders are officially back on the table, so uh, we and they they announced you know that things would probably be coming up for pre order, so this is actually happening faster than I thought. So, as of uh, next it'll be next Saturday. Psychic Awakening Engine War is up for pre-order. As well as the Tech, P- tech Priest Maniplus, which is the big fatty Tech Priest that was originally, uh, originally only available in a Kill Team box. And the Cerberus Raiders and Sulphur Hound kit. And the Teraxi kit. And the Archaeopter kit are all available. And a new Start Collecting Adeptus Mechanicus box. Which, instead of having the Honor Drew Crawler and the Tech Priest... Uh, the the big the like the larger Tech Priest. It's got the Tech Priest engine seer and a Uniscutari and the uh, uh Scorpius uh, disintegrator slash Dune Rider tank. Which uh having a transport for for your army or the and the disintegrator tank's a f- fantastic tank, so also mm-hmm. a good choice. So uh, so good good entry point for uh people who'd be new Mechanicus players, so uh it i mean it looks like we're things are getting kind of back to normal as far as getting product out there's also some print on demand horse heresy books so books that they're not actively making print runs of but you can get a copy anytime you want and even some of the new warhammer adventures stuff for like their their younger readers line i mean they're just it's like it, we went on pause and now everything's unpaused and it's just like a normal big release week and then, uh, officially the Dark Imperium box set has moved to last chance to buy. So, uh, that means that, uh, some of those Death Guard models, like, I don't even, th- you can't buy standalone Poxwalkers, can you? Uh, you no, can get there's an the easy build.
1: There is isn't, yeah, which is, there's an easy build. The one that's in there that, uh, so the, the Lord of Contagion and the Plaguecaster are not available out of that box set yet. Which or the is, Noxious
2: Blightbringer, the guy with the big bell. He's or, not oh,
1: yeah, you're right. Yeah, the Noxious Blightbringer. Yeah, so there's three character models. I believe all the characters in the... Um,
2: I the Premier's ancient, the pr- the ancient is not available. It's separate. not available, okay. And uh, the okay. lieutenants, those particular Lieutenants might not be?
1: Uh, no, that that Lieutenant now is because they, they did they did like make an announcement like of like a month or so ago or before the lockdown that, that model was being that Lieutenant model was being released. So okay. I, I, cause I, that was one of the, cause they were doing the whole, like, here's all the Lieutenant models we have. And they're like, yeah, this one's being released as well. So I think the only thing that's not available are the, uh, are the play, the, the death guard side, the couple death guard characters.
2: So, so let's see. I'm looking at what's available standalone on their website. Um, there is a Primaris Captain, but not that one that's available. the per- The Primaris Lieutenant with Power Sword is available separately, but is temporarily sold out, which is different yeah. than the one they have in that kit.
1: I thought there was one. They may was... they may yeah. be
2: available eventually. They're just not available yeah. right now. Okay.
1: So yeah, so there's still a few that are missing. So I imagine those will have to come out at some point, uh, right? And you know, at least from the um, from the Dark Imperium side of it, for Death Guard, you throw the uh, you throw the Lord of Contagion, those easy fit uh, push fit Plague Marines, and then like the uh, bloat drone, and boom, you basically have a start you know a, a start collecting box. So yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. They'll probably do like they did with um, the, uh, like, Shadow Spear, mm-hmm. where they put all the, the, like, the Vanguard and the new Chaos Space Marines in there. And, st- and yeah, there's a six a six pack box of easy to build Death Guard Poxwalkers. So you could still yeah. build a Poxwalker army or a Poxwalker force without having to buy the, bo- the box set. So that it's only s- slightly less good than the cultists. Yeah. <laughs> so it's about, a, it's about, a, There with the cultists where you can get like five easy fit cultists for 10 bucks. Gosh, they need a new cultist box.
1: They really do. They really do.
2: Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, so anyway, uh, that's our new news and new releases in the last hour. So, uh, good to see that, uh, things are moving forward. And, uh, so if Engine War is comes out first week of, at the end of first week of June, then, uh, We'll see if they fast track War of the Spider after that, because I could I could mm-hmm. actually see them accelerating that process to get back on schedule as close as possible and maybe having it a late summer rather than early fall release for the new edition.
1: Yeah. Now, with as much as they're announcing and as much as they're leaking on the new edition, I got to think it's coming
2: sooner it's than rather. later. Yeah. So speaking of the new edition, let's get back to our, the main topic for the episode, which is a look at the rules releases for, uh, the new edition of Warhammer 40k. And, uh, the, like, we'll start with the FAQ and then we'll talk about the nine, nine major changes that they, they listed and a little bit of information on that. So. Uh, They did put out an FAQ for the new edition. Uh, There's a few things that I think are of uh, major importance. Let's see. Setting and lore has been updated. Can I still use my army? You betcha. Your current army will still be usable in the new edition. Of course, as we mentioned above, there are loads of cool changes to the rules, so a whole raft of new tactical challenges and opportunities await. How can I get the rules? We're going to make it easy to get your hands on the new rules and start playing. The core rules for the game will be free, and you'll have several options on how you get your hands on the fr- full rule book. And they've got a countdown newsletter which uh, I signed up for. Uh, mm-hmm. That they'll be releasing more information through that. So, but the idea that there's going to be multiple ways to get the full rule book rather than just buying a big chunky rule book, I'm I'm a fan of this. Slim
1: rule book, please. <laughs>
2: Uh, what happens to my codexes? Good news. All your codexes still work, as do campaign expansions like the Vigilus series, Psychic Awakening, and White Dwarf supplements. What about the Psychic Awakening books? Again, these are all still work. The rules in these supplements were written with the new edition in mind, so you can continue to use the rules in them for your games. And that they said that from the beginning of Psychic Awakening, they knew where they were going with 9th edition, so, yeah. so those... And those have not felt like major departures from 8th edition, just refinements and expansions upon what armies, you know, to kind of fill in holes that armies needed without deviating too much from their flavor. So if that's the way 9th edition is going to be ruled, you know, if that's the way the rules are going to be set up, I don't have a problem with that.
1: Yeah, I think the only um, like do- recent recent like rule set that's felt like sort of a departure was the Sisters of Battle Codex. Which, while it wasn't a complete departure, felt like it was designed differently than the others. You know, with being more insular as far as like working together, which makes which jives with the rules that they're that they're putting out here. So, mm-hmm. I don't think it'll be a, a massive departure.
2: Yeah. What about my Forge World Index books? These will be changing. That's nothing we didn't already know. We knew that those rules were being brought in house, and we're gonna we're going to be getting new Forge Forge World uh, Army books. World Looks fall. like a little, and they should
0: world stuff for a long time
2: yeah look out yeah. for a new range of books to support the forge world uh, offers or support the warhammer this sentence is free oddly phrased anyway uh to soon after the release of the new edition so basically the new edition will come out and then hopefully shortly thereafter new forge world index equivalents with the written with the new rule set in mind i get i am assuming i would hope uh, so <laughs> um will there be new codexes for this edition too yes each of the factions in 40k will be revisited in turn with codexes this next wave of codexes will have additional content that features the new edition's updated rules such as the new crusade system which we'll talk about a little bit later they do expand on that here but it's basically it's a campaign system Are unit points going to change yes a new edition gives us an opportunity to reset the balance of power across the whole game expect to see a lots of point changes in armies some for balance purposes and some to reflect the information increased efficacy of units that become more powerful with the changes to the core rules, which the fact that they're looking at how these units behave under the new rules gives me a little bit of hope there too, that the, that it's not going to feel totally arbitrary, right? Here's one. I really do like, why should I not just stick with the current Warhammer 40,000? You can play any edition you like, knock yourself out. You can even just, you can even join crazy. Anthony in his lead miniatures, only rogue trader campaign. We do think, though, that this edition is the best yet, and it might be easier to find an opponent this way.
1: Wait, you mean that they, when a new edition comes out, they don't come in personally into my house and burn all of my old books? They do not.
0: Well, and to oh, be sh- fair, though, I actually never played Rogue <laughs> Trader, so that would be interesting.
1: The rule is, book is a is odd.
2: <laughs> it is a weird book.
0: It's a weird book. Rob and I had played second edition back in college.
2: <laughs> this is weirder than that.
0: Rogue Trader is super weird. <laughs> <laughs> cool because
2: rogue trader for one thing has a game master
1: yeah it's much more of an rpg than it is a
2: an actual war game in the way we think of it now <laughs> but i i do like the fact that they clarify something that we have stated on the show a great many times you can play whatever edition you like as long as you can find players to play it with yep the, so okay uh let's see will the rules be updated through chapter approved the new core rules for 40k will be with us for a little while yet but yes with new units and books released all the time, we'll still be looking at the game regularly with an eye to balance, particularly in match play and publishing updates and chapter approved. So that doesn't change. We, they, they're still going to be constantly watching the game for balance and updating appropriately. Um, let's see. Uh, what's in the new boxed game? Who said anything about a new boxed game? That sure would be exciting, though. If such a thing were actually in the works, it probably wouldn't be long before we found out more
0: about it. <laughs> I mean, that will be cool, but I don't know. Nothing will beat Blackreach.
2: Blackreach is still the gold standard for both at at price and just the amount of stuff that was in there and and ease of access.
3: Yeah. I'm still waiting for uh, those death copters to come back.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's good. It's
3: good to see you're a dreamer.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Why are you doing this so soon after Psychic Awakening? As many of you have picked up on, the Psychic Awakening has been building up to some major changes in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. The new edition sees them come to pass with the return of a long-forgotten evil and some big developments in the lore. From a rules perspective, all the Psychic Awakening books are fully compatible with the new edition and were written with it in mind. So, again, consistent messaging on that. Uh, What happens to Kill Team? Absolutely nothing. It's still there and it's still great. Kill Team is its own rule set, so it isn't affected by the changes to the main Warhammer 40,000 game. However, with new additions come new models and several of these will be infiltrating their way into Kill Zones in the near future and the far future. So I think that's also important to draw that distinction that Kill Team is not just like a variant way to play 40k. It is its own thing it's rule set is untouched by this. I wouldn't even be surprised to see some of the rules from Kill Team kind of make it into not into ninth in some regard. But it letting people know, like, yeah, if you like playing Kill Team, we're not touching that. It's fine. But, but you'll get rules for the new models.
1: I would hope on the flip side of that that they do the same thing with Apocalypse. They mentioned a little bit later on as we, we'll get to it that size of game can scale up and down. But I do still hope they keep the APOC rule set out there as well.
2: Absolutely agreed. Will the core rules still be available for free? Yes, the Basic Rules Primer for the new edition will be available for download for free, just as with the current edition. For the new rules in full, you'll want to get a copy of the Warhammer 40,000 rulebook, which includes updates for match and the new Crusade system for narrative play. So I'm curious to see how basic the Basic Primer is going to be. One of my... Uh, issues with the 8th edition one is that yes it does contain the rules for the game to actually function but I felt that by not including army building like the detachments and command points and such I felt like it kind of did the game a disservice you you could like you could go to it for rules questions but you couldn't actually really play off of it mm-hmm. so I, ho- I would hope that that basic like here's how to build an army would be included in that But it might not be. They may save that for match play. I I know that even with Age of Sigmar, they kind of do that. Let's see. It's going to be available in a whole bunch of different languages. And like the print version will be available in English, French, German, Spanish, Italian, Chinese and Japanese. And then even more languages in the digital download version. That's awesome. Are they are there still non-Primera Space Marines? Yes, they're right where you left them and they can still be used in the game just as you can today. So, not getting squatted rules-wise, at least.
0: Not yet. Until the squats <laughs> come back.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I want it. When can I have it?
0: Hey, Kevin, do you know how he said that right after we talked about squats?
2: I know. I Squats confirmed. Got it. All right. <laughs> um, squats were actually – I don't know if you noticed during the uh... – uh the the preview the the rele- yeah. review video but uh Pete's whiteboard in the yeah. background like th- when he was on the first time like it mentioned like codexes to write one was like squats and marked out the next one was like new space marines marked out
1: well there was also another one where he was on there and it said uh to do and it was like a symbol plastic thunderhawk right finish writing rules for angron and <laughs> prove that like dark angels are the greatest chapter which you know two of three isn't bad i guess
2: <laughs> so yeah the fact that he changed those between visits on the same recording <laughs> was great yeah <laughs> they've got a good I, I i love the sense of humor they have um yeah, see, I love it. I want it. When can I have it? Really soon. We were a few weeks off just yet, but we wanted to give you a bit of a heads up so you could get ready. And because we are too excited to keep the news to ourselves any longer, we'll let you know when we have more news on an exact release date. Okay, so if they're a few weeks off, that could be anywhere from like like end of June to like maybe end of July. So Dennis, maybe you're right that like maybe Pariah comes out like at the same time as
0: this. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing that I want to point out is. Just like eighth edition happened during Midwest Conquest weekend. This big announcement is happening on Midwest Conquest weekend. I think they just like to announce stuff during Midwest Conquest.
2: Yeah, they do. Yeah. Our friend Alex Hunt messaged me like after the re- after the reveal. And he's like, man, you guys are going to have plenty to talk about. And I said, yeah. it's a good, He's like, wouldn't it be awesome if this had happened at Midwest? And I said, no, we'd be in the middle of first round. I wouldn't have gotten to watch any of it. That's
0: exactly. true. Well, maybe <laughs> if they're going to keep this up in like two or three years when they come out with 10th edition, we should invite them to come to Midwest Conquest to like present do the reveal. Yeah. Makes sense. I,
2: I- I'm sure we can probably swing that. I mean, we're like,
0: no, we're a minor group right now. Yeah. <laughs> we're,
2: we're a minor, we're a minor, small podcast and a minor group. But I know people know who we are, though, so that's something. <laughs> And so we'll be running articles every day from June onwards on warhammercommunity.com in the run up to the launch. Every aspect of the new edition will be covered from rules to new miniatures to the unfolding narrative. So basically expect daily updates for probably the next several weeks.
0: Okay, that is exciting.
2: Yeah, no, they they definitely want to build up the hype, but I think they also want to show people that like especially focusing on the rules because that's what that's the thing people are going to be watching the most closely is exactly.
0: Yeah. And this goes what we did it before with the codexes and stuff. they They like a week before the codex, they'd be kind of like piecemeal handing out. Here's here's this cool rule. Here's this cool thing here. And so this just feels like they're doing what they're doing for the edition. But they've got longer to do it because there's more to cover.
2: Yeah, there's a lot to cover. So we're going to now move over to the things we want to cover the nine things that uh, James workshop listed <laughs> as the nine upcoming changes. I know this video had a mixed reception in our group. I didn't like it.
3: I I thought it was okay. I just, I mean, I understand where Dennis is coming from of just the fact that it's vague.
1: Dennis, why do you hate fun? <laughs> <laughs>
3: because I, I, I'm a fan of no fun leagues.
1: Exactly. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was interesting. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I I do have to say I love the James Workshop character. I mean, that that is a cute thing. It's just to me, it felt like a big, um, advertisement. Well, it absolutely,
2: it absolutely is. And that is kind of his, the character they've created for him. Like he, he's a guy that only vaguely understands that they have a web store and that it uses computers.
1: I mean, and and the other part of it too, like the whole thing with doing the online reveal, like it's all marketing. Like I I understand that. Like I'm being marketed, I'm being sold because That's what all of this is. So yeah, oh doesn't. To be
0: fair, also if I had seen all the stuff you guys saw first and then saw that, I would have just thought it was part of the campaign. That was the first thing I saw. Like, here's your introduction to the next edition, and it's it's like, yeah, okay,
2: okay, fair. From from that standpoint, uh, I think it it I could see where it would feel lacking. Uh, Getting to see it alongside the the presentation on Twitch and then hearing the commentary afterwards, I think did make it feel like it made a lot more sense.
0: Yeah, I can see that.
2: Okay. So starting at the top, the first thing they noted was that, uh, the rules have been cleaned up and revised and polished, which that doesn't surprise me. And again, this is, we had talked last episode about how we, what we would expect from a new edition would just be more a refinement and revision of the current rules. Rather than a complete discard, so that doesn't surprise me.
1: Yeah, it feels to me like this is uh, the you know the comparisons have been made a lot with like Age of Sigmar uh, second edition. So like I think that's what this is going to be. Is it's just it's it's really uh, a marginal upgrade. It won't be like going day from seventh to eighth.
2: No, or even going from sixth to seventh. Sixth to seventh had some huge changes even though the fundamentals of the game were the same. Mm-hmm. And that maybe and maybe this will be like that. I don't know. It just depends on if these changes add up, how much of a, bit, a difference they make. Yeah. But again, not a lot of detail in that, other than I know that the uh, the playtesters have been working very closely on this one, and I know the argument can be made, well, you playtested the last version, and look how, how the balance turned out at the start. But I think... This is going into it having not just play tested it, but also seen how it's played in the wild, and that's a much different thing than, like, play testing it with initial assumptions. But actually looking at okay, you get several hundred people playing at a large event. Oh, this is how like kind of like after that first Adepticon with Eighth Edition rules, and suddenly like, <laughs> oh crap, we need to actually rein some of this stuff in because that's we didn't expect people to play it that way,
1: and that was one of. Th- who in their
2: right, right line would take nine flyers? Um, <laughs> Matt Root? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> if, if think of it that way, as you said, Rob. There definitely is like bias per region, because even when we first got into the game, we played a certain way. When we went to our first tournament, we saw other people played a different way. When <laughs> yeah. we went to our first like GT, we saw a lot of people playing lots of different ways. So there is that kind of, like you said, group like meta for store, region, city region, GT area region, and I did note when they talked about this stuff in there, they said that they, or this wasn't in the video, this was in their um, Twitch stream, that they wanted to kind of bring that together, because currently UK players play different than American players play different, and they want to try and bring some commonality so the games feel the same no matter what area Mm -hmm. you go to.
2: Yeah, that was one of the things that they brought up, that Mike Brandt brought up in the interview with him, and... He he specifically looked at mission design as being a big part of that, and and as we know, mission design and, and the types of missions you play really does dictate what kind of armies you play, and and like it like playing an ITC mission, you'll bring a different army build than you would playing like a standard forty k like chapter approved mission. Mm-hmm. But I also know that with the mission designs that they've had in like. Uh, like the newest chapter approved a lot of those elements have been like people have been looking like maybe we should just play those because they're pretty nice and even some of the elements of that have been brought into itc but i would love to see a ninth edition where maybe and maybe you'd have more than just like six missions to choose from but the idea that the missions that they present you in the book are good enough to and well constructed enough and balanced enough to just play anywhere and they're good and i think that's kind of where age of sigmar is they're general's handbook has like, here are the matched play r- missions for this year. Mm-hmm. And people, and, and I think there's like six or 12 of those and that gives people enough variety, but also, you know, these missions are specifically constructed for matched play. And I think that would go a lot. Getting that balance is just as important as getting the rules balanced. Cause if the missions are bad, it, the, the mechanics, the rules may be good, but it won't make the games good necessarily. All right, second thing, crusade, the new narrative play model they've put into the game.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not 100% sure what to think about this. Like I I think it's good that there's more ways to play. I think that's awesome. I don't know how much this will be used. Like maybe it'll be used to like a lot in stores and stuff, but you know, it's one of those like just with power level and stuff like that where like, "Oh, there's all these different ways to play," and nobody plays. Like they People like the restrictions in the form of match play and, you know, playing, you know, knowing that you're all kind of on the same, same level. And that's how 90% of the games that I've seen have been played. So I, it's neat that they're doing it. Hopefully it's a good system. I I don't know how much use it'll get. People will get out of it.
0: See, and I picked up something different than you, Kev, because during the stream, because this is where I'm getting most of my information, Mm because the video didn't tell me much. (laughs) They made a mention of you can have like – campaign was more to tell a narrative story even between your your own models. So you could have your own narrative going, take that army that you have a narrative going, take it to a tournament, and the results of your games in the tournament, you can apply to your campaign – I mean, your opponent's not playing campaign. Sure. You are. So, I mean, it, it. you can do it with other people. You can do it just all yourself with your own models and have your own story going. Yeah. I, and uh, it, yeah. even if it's in a competitive mode, you can still play this by yourself, it sounded like to me. So what I took
2: away from it is it sounded like um, something Age of Sigmar has called Path to Glory. They released a Path to Glory book a while back, and they've since been incorporating it into the individual battle tomes, which is their equivalent of codexes. And basically a, every the way a path to glory campaign works is you pick a starting in this, like in the, in their system, it's a hero. So in this case, you pick a starting HQ, what kind of HQ you choose determines how many units of what different types you can take. And they're basically, they'll have charts there where you can either roll it up randomly or pick one. And then You play a game with that, and if you win your game, you can either upgrade one of those units or add another unit. And then once you have earned enough upgrades, and the idea is in in Path to Glory is that you're playing it in kind of a campaign league. The idea is, like, then once you have reached a certain number of upgrades, you play one more game. And if you win that game, then you win win the league. So, like, first person to get to, like, 12 or something wins. Mm Mm-hmm. But like your characters get upgrades and like can get new war gear and stuff or your units get certain buffs or things like that. They had a little bit of that in, I think, either, I think two chapter approves ago.
1: Yeah, with like the system of being able to upgrade individual characters, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if this is going to be a straight analog for this. I don't like whether it'll still use points or pow- power level or something like, said, so like path of glory, you know, age of Sigmar army building is very different than 40 K, but I could absolutely see it. Something like this where you are earning upgrades for your characters and
3: units from battle to battle. Yeah, I know. I know we played, uh, the little age of Sigmar league that I played in went right near when path of glory came out. we kind of modified that a little bit and, and played with those rules. But, like, basically we let everybody take upgrades between rounds because it kind of felt like it would lead to, you know, loss spiraling if you didn't. Because because some of the upgrades were, like, pretty good. I mean, it was literally adding more units to your army. So it's like, uh yeah, that doesn't really leave for
2: balanced play. So at that point it becomes more of like a narrative escalation league. The kind
3: yes. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. Basically. So so this sounds like again we don't have a lot of details on how this works. There's a number of different models. This could go from but it's, I think it sounds like the theme is at least similar to a Path of Glory type idea where it's like you have a starting force and then you see what happens to them as the game mm. goes on, you know, as your games go on.
1: Yeah, like I'm not opposed to having more ways to play, I think that's great. I just, I wonder what, I wonder how much true utility there's going to be out of this where it's like, hey, we have this cool way to play, but you're going to see most people do pickup games using match play itc roles and stuff like that maybe i'm wrong i don't know
0: But well and that's why i'm hoping it's one where you can have your group where you do a narrative campaign or you could have it set up so you can just do your narrative on your own no matter what you're playing
2: yeah that would be cool all right moving on to the next one this one is one we talked about in our last episode and i really think i like their solution to it Starting with more command points, changing up how command points are generated. And I will say that this vi- this video does not do the concept justice and <laughs> no, that the stream didn't. did a much better job of explaining it.
1: <laughs> yeah, my knee-jerk reaction to start with more command points was, oh, God, no.
2: <laughs> but then when the uh, when they explained how it works yeah. on the stream, it's a fundamental change and I think it's a way better system. I would agree with that. Yeah. So, so what they explained was that uh, right now the the issue is that I mean they specifically brought up the lucky thirty two, for example, as as a problem with how command points are generated. You take a a cheap minimum size de- battalion detachment of like something that shares a key, you know, shares a basic keyword with you, and drop that in, and now that's your sh- command point battery, and so the game was rewarding you for building your army that way. And it was punishing armies like custodes where you don't have the points to spare to put, to drop in a lucky 32 necessarily. So instead command points are no longer based on detachment size or number of detachments. It is instead based upon the size of the game and both players in the game will start with the same amount So let's, I mean, we don't know what the the starting point is, but let's say, let's say at a 2000 point game, you're starting with 12 command points. Everybody starts with 12 command points. The person who has like, who's playing Custodes starts with 12 command points. The person who is playing an Imperial starts starts with 12 command points. The reason I put emphasis on starts is because the other thing is instead of additional detachments gain you command points, you are now... Spending command points to take detachments from other armies or possibly just to take multiple detachments in general. And I like this change quite a bit.
0: No, it makes sense because how many times had we been, even amongst ourselves, saying, like, I can put this all in a battalion, but if I pull these out and make a vanguard, hey, I get more command points.
2: Exactly. I mean, we did that in our last uh, army list review. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, yeah, that's like when you are gaming your army building to try to squeeze out command points while not actually changing how your army really is built or playing there's something fundamentally wrong with how you you how the system is allowing you to game it so putting everybody on the same level with command points with and th- this solves the issue of well how do you rebalance command points and all the stratagems you don't really have to if you're starting everybody at the same point Now, it'll be interesting to see how this is going to apply to armies like Guard, where they've been used to building, like, it's easy for them to build, like, a brigade level, and they get a lot more command points that way. They may see it as a bit of a nerf, but it's definitely going to be a a buff to, like, armies, again, like Custodes or any of these, like, small elite armies where it's like, yeah, if I take, if I try to take anything else just to gain command points, I end up diluting my force to the point where it's not nearly as effective anymore.
0: Right, like when I was playing Custodes, I just didn't really look, rely on command points for anything. I barely used stratagems because I needed to say I saved them for mostly rerolls mm-hmm. because I only had like 5 or 6 total.
1: Well, and this is sorry, and this is where like the design like so I mentioned earlier about like the Sisters Codex being definitely feeling it was geared for a different edition, Sisters especially seems like it's going to lean into this because you gain so many extra benefits just from building a pure sister's army so if they also then on top of that get you get more command points for doing it that way it really seems like they have changed up their design aesthetic to try to move away from soupless and get people to playing specific within their faction and i like that i think that's a good move
2: yeah because and that was one of the issues like how do you encourage people to build mono mono faction armies again and partly it was like hey here's the benefits you get for your army if you build that way but now it's going to be and you're actually going to be in a better places like you can either have the command points to do all the tricks that your army has or you can spend some command points and have like as kind of like a pregame stratagem and have a little bit more flexibility in your force and give you like fill in the holes that your army doesn't have but it it means you won't have as much for stratagems and I think that's a fair trade-off it shouldn't be a benefit to do it that way yes which also makes me wonder how that's going to work with things like space marines where like people were combining like here's my like in, here is my raven guard and iron hands list or something like that where it's like I'm they're all technically, like, I don't get my super detachment, but they all have combat doctrines, so they all technically still work together.
0: Maybe it's time for Kevin to get his wish and all of them get broken out into different books? He you know, dream. Yeah.
2: But yes, I am completely on board with the command, pa- command points change. Very happy with this. All right, next up. Tanks are back on track. Tanks can now fire while in melee. You cannot tar pit a tank with a unit of infantry.
1: I like it. I think it's it's not the only reason why tanks kind of disappeared from 8th edition, but this will
0: help. I mean, I will. I, I like the, this idea. I need more details. But from an Eldar perspective, my tanks weren't getting charpeted anyway. You just didn't take them because they weren't good.
2: Which hopefully they can address that issue as
0: well. <laughs> I mean, the, the problem with them is they keep on making all these newer units that have more firepower, more range, and, and it's right now still a game of weight of fire and tanks don't normally provide a weight of fire unless you're like a primary land raider
2: yeah like the repulsor is yeah is made of gun and has enough gun to provide that and of course the premier the repulsor can also fly so it could fall back and still shoot
0: <laughs> right so it, it is it's nice the tanks do that but unless they either tone down the shooting of all the new stuff they've released or made all tanks have better or like more shots I don't know how to solve that problem. So we'll have to see what they come up with tanks.
2: Yeah. And it was unclear. They said tanks can shoot in melee, but I wasn't clear on whether that means they can shoot at the targets that are like in melee with them or if they can just shoot at other targets regardless. So
0: my guess, so spitballing would be kind of like the knights thing where they could just assault slash run over things in melee combat, maybe make things take mortal wounds by getting run over by a tank. And then still have the turret to shoot something else that they're not locked in combat with, kind of like knights do.
2: Okay. Yeah, no, I could, I could see that. And that'd be the simplest way. It's just like, yeah, you a vehicle that's in melee. And whether we'll see if it's limited to just tanks, like if that's going to be considered a subclass of vehicle or if it's going to be like all vehicles.
0: Yeah, that'll that is a wait and see.
2: Yep. All right, next up, number five. And this is another big one and one we were desperately hoping for on our last episode a complete rebuild of terrain rules from the ground up.
0: Yes. Desperately needed. I mean, I am totally cheering this one on, although I do have my concern. And the concern is, what do tournament organizers do after they get the new terrain rules? How do they set up their tables, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, that that's always going to be, there's always going to be that tension. But uh, the fact they spe- you know, they specifically talked about like getting bonuses from like being inside buildings, uh, having better line of sight for helping ad- Cause it. Because it sounds like they're like they are specifically calling out the fact that assault armies are having a problem getting across the board, which duh, we've all know mm-hmm. We've known that for a couple of years now,
0: but saying
2: like we are actively addressing that.
0: I approve that they're, they're doing this because, like you said, we've talked about it a lot. But at the same time. And they also send the stream. They streamlined the train to like make it even, but they streamlined it too much. But assault armies need more terrain on the board, like flyer, knight, etc. Those armies need less terrain on the board. So it's a it's a balancing game between those two styles. And so yeah, terrain on the board plays a big difference. And so it'll be up to tournament organizers of finding that balance that will support both large monstrous creatures and small assault armies.
2: Well, and I'm hoping they do something where, like, in in previous editions, like, trees were useful. Like, you didn't have to have just a whole bunch of buildings. Trees could help you if you were an assault army because you could just go, like, you could go from a building to a tree, you know, to a wooded area and then back to another building and, like, you still had pretty good protection, whereas in this one, it's like, oh, if they can see one model, you're all dead. Yeah. And and that's the pro- that's a that's a big problem. I also li- liked the last like so like bo- you know bonuses from you know garrisoning a building. Great. You want to sneak up on your opponent by like hiding behind line of sight. Also great. You want to leap at your opponent with a chain sword and the hymn of the emperor on your lips. Not really appropriate to this section, but go for it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> see, when I did that, my thought was, hey, maybe howling banshees will be good again. Hey, could be. Anything's we'll, possible. We'll see. We'll see.
2: Uh, number six, and I th- this one is one we I know we've I think we've already addressed some concerns with the game scaling from to all sizes from a quick lunch break game on looks like a very small field, almost just slightly bigger than a kill team board to your entire collection, which seems like it would be an apocalypse range.
0: I yeah. like this. I I
2: do like it. And I like the idea of supporting multiple levels of play. This is something we've always been a big champion of that smaller games should be as absolutely viable as larger ones.
0: And I mean, I I see probably going forward, you'll have those three types, the, the small game, the media, like they said, the hour game, the three to four hour game, and then the whole day game, which is probably like, here's your skirmish, not, not kill team skirmish, but a small, smaller point, smaller scaled. And then the mid tier is probably what you're going to see the tournaments and the top tier. All I can think of is it is apocalypse, except Apocalypse has its own rule set, so this will be different from that. But it will feel more like older Apocalypse, and the fact that you're bringing as much as you can onto the table.
2: Yeah, I still love New Apocalypse, though. New Apocalypse New is apocalypse so is good. Very
0: nice. I'm sad we haven't played it for months, but timings mm-hmm. and pandemic.
2: Yeah. Also, like to note that so the the small game they showed was like uh, Asariani versus Drukari. With just, like, uh, some infantry and, like, a raider and, uh, like, a wraith lord on the on the board.
0: Almost like, and here's your start collecting box, go play a game.
2: Right. Yeah. And then the uh, the big game is a, a blood letter with, like, an entire corn army complete with, like, a lord of skulls versus a sister's army that includes a thunderbolt, plastic thunderbolt confirmed. <laughs> Probably not, but I, I one can hope. Sister, a, a sister's flyer would be great. But yeah, battles of every size being supported. I'm I'm a huge fan of this, uh, and and though having, uh, have hopefully that will also mean we can see events at multiple sizes too. We talked about that in the past, and I I would really like to see the idea of a thousand point game being just as viable a tournament game as a two thousand point game as a fifteen hundred point game. Uh, let's see number seven. I'd re- a revision to strategic reserves with uh, there were two points they specifically brought up especially in the, again in the stream the stream had much more information on this one was being able to reserve u- more units than you can currently and and not just i think that was along the terms of you should be able to reserve more than just units that have specific like deep strike abilities and then the second was uh not just being able to come on edge or deep striking, but maybe later in the game, being able to come in from alternate table edges. So like possibly, you know, uh, Drew asked us earlier about like, what rules would we like to see come back? I love the idea of the return of outflank.
0: Yeah, yes. Th- this is the one that caught my ear the most as well, because it also depends on how they implement it. Cause it will make no point if like, oh yeah, you can outflank, but you can only move in and still be nine inches away from somebody. Mm-hmm. Cause that I, I, Had the love-hate relationship with Tyranids back in the day, where as soon as they come in, they can assault you. And so you had to carefully position your stuff. And I would love it if they brought back that fear of assault people either coming out of terrain or coming out of a board edge to be able to assault you. Because that's the problem assault armies have right now is they have to get all the way down to the board. And... So I'm hoping, crossing fingers, that if they allow assault out of the outflanking, that will actually give assault armies a boost, and it'll put more terror into the people that just like to sit back on a back line and whatnot.
2: Yeah, I mean that's one of the things you can do to force mobility in the game. Is put it, it's like we're standing still is not a safe play. Yeah, that would go a long way towards that. And the the nine inch deep strike bubble has. It's like I, I you get why they do it. But it has been very restrictive as far as like it like helped. allowing you to to have like deep striking or reserving assault armies.
0: Oh yeah, it, it has, and then you get all the like the terminators that can then add to the rolls, do that. Or the best flamers now are not your eight inch flamers, it's your twelve inch flamers. Right. And so it's it's totally changed the dynamic and it's made some units super useful and other units like you don't see them anymore because of that nine inches.
2: But that nine inches, it it still feels like it just feels like a very arbitrary, artificial number. Like it doesn't, and and you know it's it's one of those things where it's it's consistently on the rules. And like a nine inch deep striker, I I can get that. But yeah, I agree with you that like reserves and especially like if there's an outflank ability, should not be limited to that nine inches. I I I would be because the thing is, if if it suddenly becomes something like that, you're going to see people hugging like. 7 or 8 inches to the side. Mm-hmm. And that's that's no better. Yeah. So, but hopefully like if we've talked about that in just this few minutes, hopefully that is something they've taken in into account when uh they've been doing this rules design, but uh this is one that has a big potential to change up a lot of armies. All right, number 8, a return of blast weapons, but not blast templates exactly. Basically, the idea here is if you have weapons that are considered blast weapons, and we, we don't know if that just means weapons that have a random number of shots, or if it's weapons that of a particular class, or if they're going to gain like a blast keyword, like something that'll be eroded in. If you were firing against a horde, and again, we'll have to see what counts as a horde, if it's going to be based on model count, or if it's going to be keyword based... Um, your weapon will now get maximum shots against them, which is one of those cr- things to counter the the bad feels of and the example they show here in in the illustration is here's a unit of hormigons running at me. I have an imperial knight with a rapid fire battle cannon. I roll two for my number of shots and I roll snake eyes. I have I will get two shots at this entire horde. I missed all of them. <laughs> As opposed to, like, I have pointed at the unit of horde, I will now have 12 shots because they're such a large horde, I can't possibly miss all of... You know, I, I I can basically point anywhere and hit them. Now, whether the actual shots will hit, that is still something to be rolled. But the idea of maximum shots against units of certain size, I think is a, is a good fix and kind of balances that horde versus random, random shot weapon.
3: I, I, I just... I know that I follow, like, some Tyranid pages, and there's a lot of, like, Doomsday, uh, about that one, particularly. So, eh, yeah, whatever. I think it's, it, it, it'll just be a thing to overcome for Horde Armies.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll agree with Richard there, although I don't like their example, because I've never thought of a rapid-fire battle... Cannon being a blast type weapon, it's more of it's just I have lots of shots weapon as opposed to like flamers and other things that in the old days it covers like an area, so I can see those being the true blast. So it's it's a lot of still wait and see.
1: I don't know the rapid fire battle cannon was always a blast weapon, blast template weapon before, what so weapon? that yeah, because okay. because it would you know you you roll it and then it would hit the area. So and like That's the way right, it's I mean, described it's in the long fluff long is your yeah the way it's describing the fluff, like you're hurling a giant explosive shell in an area. So eh. well,
0: fair enough. like I, I said, it, it's been a while since I, I saw yeah. Knights use templates.
1: I, I need to see more. I need to see more details on this because just thinking about it, like there's a lot of ways to skirt it. There's a lot of ways where this could be very unbalancing. There's just a lot of unknowns. This is the one where I feel like I need to know. I need to know a lot more about.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll agree. But I also, like, one of the things they specifically pointed out in the stream is, like, units like Whirlwinds and things like that, where they've always, like, they've always been dependent on blast templates and now it's like, okay, yeah, you can target that unit and you won't miss but you might only roll, like, one shot. It's like, it's the, that's not, again, it's that streamlining but they may have streamlined too far, maybe not in the opposite direction, but, like, too far in one way and, like, abstracted it weirdly so it doesn't behave the way you think it should and that's been one of the goals they've been trying to drive home with this whole thing is like they want units to get even more so feeling on the tabletop like you would think they would feel in the in the narrative which might also mean that like possibly if they feel like okay so hordes are going to have a lot of things thrown at them since they said they're going to redo point costs it's possible hordes could get slightly cheaper too
3: yeah that's true
2: So, yeah, there's a lot of unknowns on this. Like, what is considered a blast weapon? What is considered a horde? How are those going to interact? Like, if it's based on number of models, like, is the horde a horde when you first shoot at it? But then after you've whittled it down a bit, does it no longer become a horde? And now you have to roll roll your shots? Or, you know, is it like... It
0: was number of models. You know everyone would take number of models minus one then in a Mm unit.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so... It's going to be tricky to see how the, how gameable it is. So lots of unknowns. I like the I really like the idea in theory. Let me just say that. I like, I like the theory. We'll have to see how the how the actual implementation goes. Uh, and then finally, number nine, freedom of the skies. Flyers are going to behave differently. Flyers will no longer affect intervening models. The, one of the things they said was they didn't like the idea of, like, I can't stand here. There's a plane in the air.
0: Yeah, that never made sense to me either. Or
2: planes like, oh, you can't if you ever fly off the table, you die. Uh, it sounded like they want plane, they want flyers to be able to fly off the board and come back on, do strafing runs, things like that. Whether planes will actually have to be that, now, the thing is like, well, if I if I can stand there, even if a plane's there, does that mean the plane will not actually be on the battlefield? Can I put my models on my opponent's base? That doesn't seem like a thing that's going to happen. So that's going to be interesting to see how they actually work that out. If the pl- if taking a flyer unless it's a transport becomes more of like an abstract, at which point do you even need the model there?
0: <laughs> I mean how I mean you're you're right about all those, but how I kind of envision this, and I could be wrong, because spitballing, because we don't have information, is flyers would be more one thing, like they zoom on, you put them on the table. They can only fire in their front arc unless they're dropping a bomb, and then they fly off, so they're not really actually on the board. They're just kind of there to show, hop on, what they can hit, and then next turn, they do the same thing, so it's to kind of show that they're fast, and they kind of are f- hovering around, swooping in, just trying to pick out targets to maybe make them really good about picking out characters, picking at that, because they can zoom for that perfect angle for a shot, and then they zoom off, so... We'll have to see,
2: and that may also tie in with some of the strategic reserves rules, like basically the idea that your your plane flies off the board, and now that determines which board edge it can come in back, you know, come back in on. Sure. So okay. you know, that yeah, so maybe this all works in in uh, in concert with one another. Pew pew sounds are op- optional but highly encouraged. <laughs> but yeah, it does sound like they're trying to they want flyers to feel like flyers.
0: They've never felt like flyers. They've kind of felt more like things on the battlefield that didn't exactly belong.
2: Now, I think the very early days of like Forge World having rules for flyers before flyers really became a thing in 40K, they had rules for doing like strafing runs where it's like you had the model there to kind of represent it. If you had if it was a transport, you did bring the model on to draw you know like because it had you had to pick a spot for models to drop off on, you know near it but in general the the models were just kind of there to represent hey i have a flyer it's it's flying around
0: and who knows maybe they'll have special rules for flyers versus flyers if both people brought flyers
2: yeah and we could even release a book maybe they could call it like death from the skies or something like that well, I think
0: and it- try and tone all that down because they tried that before and it didn't work so i'm expecting something different
2: OK, <laughs> so OK, so those are the nine major changes that they listed. And granted, this will not cover everything. And a lot of things we don't have detail on right now. We, You know, there's what what extra information we've been able to glean from the stream. Uh, and there will be another stream Tuesday. So it's going to happen after recording. So there may be by the time this goes live, we may have more information. So I apologize for it if, if we are incomplete at this point but they are doing another stream on twitch specifically about rules questions and other questions about the new edition so uh, we will be watching that closely so okay so as of right now how do you feel about what they've what information we have about the new edition
0: i'd say i feel hopeful but i feel lacking in information
2: fair
1: I like what I've heard so far. Like it sounds like they've at least addressed the concerns that people have had. Now whether they will fix those concerns, I don't know, but it, it at least sounds like they are aware of like where the pain points in the current edition are and are working towards trying to fix those. So,
3: yeah, I I, I agree with that. They it I I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with what I've heard so far. I I but I do really want you know, a lot more information about certain things, so.
2: Yeah, I, I, I will say that it feels like you know, unlike past editions necessarily it feels like this edition has been developed in good faith, that they they really are actively trying to make a better version of the game, rather than just creating a new version to to sell more books, and let's be honest, they are a company that's part of what they're going to do, they're, gonna, they're going to try to release new books for people to buy to upgrade their armies. So, I mean, that that is absolutely an aspect of this, and we'd reached the point where we were asking, okay, so you could, when we run out of codexes, then it's campaign books, okay, so what happens when they finish up a campaign storyline, and now we know the answer in this instance was a new edition, but, like I said, I feel like this edition is actually being designed with the sense of Okay, we've got a good game. How can we make it better? Where where is the game not living up to expectations, and what can we do to address those? And I feel like, you know, they, you know, by bringing in outside playtesters, and yes, again, I know playtesters were brought in for Eighth Edition, but I think they, it sounds like not only have they dealt with those playtesters in probably a, a better sense of okay, so let's talk about how the game is actually played rather than us giving you the expectations of just make sure the game functions, but also actually talking to people, taking community feedback, going to events and seeing like, okay, what's working, what's not working, what is working too well. They're they're actively trying to make this a good game and because they know that a good game also sells more, that uh, it, it feels like they're really trying to make the right, I, I do feel like they're trying to make the right decisions on how to on how to address this game, and time will tell if it is the best version of 40k yet. Uh, you know, obviously they're quick to tout it as such, but they're definitely. I f- it feels like they're improving things that were issues in this edition, things yeah. that this edition was lacking. So,
0: which goes back to their I don't want to say promise, but their statement that. They're continually evaluating and updating to make it a living, growing system for the players.
2: Yes. And, and I think that aspect of the community engagement, I think they've done a phenomenal job of that. And they are continuing to do so and trying to make sure that the community, I mean, and, and as you said early on, Kevin, this was all marketing. You know, th- this was a yeah. marketing event to be sure. But they're also trying to. D- you know, keep the community engaged and understanding that that engagement is a two-way street.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't mean to say that as a as a negative, that like, oh, this is all just hype and marketing. Like, they're a company. Like, they understand that sharing information with people gets people more hyped up and that an engaged community is healthier for the game and thus for their bottom line. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a negative that this was all hype to get people excited and to sell them on a new edition.
0: Yeah,
2: no, I, th- I think, you know, they don't want to dump everything at first. I get, you know, cause you also like, if you dump all your information early on, that's also a problem. Uh, that's something that fantasy flight games did with the second edition of X wing. And there was such a long lead time on when X wing was actually going to be released. They actually, it ended up hurting them in the in the long term because everyone knew for like three, like six months, like there was a new edition coming, and that it was going to completely invalidate. That and in this case, it's not an edition that it invalidates everything, but imagine if you had imagine like when seventh edition transitioned over to eighth edition, that they had told you like in June. Oh yeah, we're coming out with a new edition. It's going to completely invalidate every codex. The rules are going to fundamentally change. Every unit's going to have a new profile. Oh, and yeah, the book's not going to be out until next January.
0: I mean, we kind of got that right before. I mean, they didn't. Games Workshop didn't say it, but all the players were thinking it. We were thinking it, but it
2: was also a much, a much smaller window. True, and there, you know, and I think the general feeling amongst a lot of players was relief. Like, oh, good, they're addressing oh, the issue. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, like, we were so tired of all the rules squabbles for 7. So, it's, like, people were excited for it, even with all the changes. But, like, in Fantasy Flight's uh, situation, they, like, com- they're, like, oh, yeah, we're completely invalidating all, like, it's going to function basically the same way. But, like, all your existing, uni- like, ship profiles are are gone. Oh, and we're taking points off the cards. It's all going to be in an app that we're going to have online. And the balance of the game is going to be completely changed. And what happened was people stopped buying new product because they're like, well, I'm not going to buy anything because it's not – I don't know if it's going to be good in the next, you know, six months later. And, like, they dumped enough information out early on but didn't then follow it up with enough information for people to kind of play preview games or get a feel for how things were going to be switching around. And that's not a good – and so – like i think they've started to rebound but there from what i gathered there was like a major drop in interest for like that 6 month period and so by being up front and saying yes it's going to be several weeks it's going to be a few weeks before the new editions out but we're going to give you information every day and we want to make clear this does not invalidate anything that you have right now we you know it's like all your old stuff is still going to be good so you know But it it, it will change people's buying. There will be a lot of people who are wait and see on. It is going to change their buying habits, but it's still I'd rather have this free flow of information with a limited time frame. Uh, But, yeah, I know I'm I'm I am suitably hyped for the new edition. It sounds like it's going to address all the issues that we or a lot of the issues, maybe not all of them, but a lot of the issues that we have brought up with the game. And also, storyline-wise, one of the things we mentioned was the idea of if the Silent King returns, a resurgent uh, Necron Empire moving in on the Imperium of Man, and it looks like that's what we're getting for the main storyline. So, I'm just going to say called it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, baseless speculation wins the day, I suppose.
0: For you, my baseless speculation still did not happen because the Emperor is probably still stuck in a chair.
2: We don't know that. We don't know that. There's three Psychic Awakening books left to go. Also, one of the things they hinted at in the uh, in the stream was like the Necrons were going to try to turn stuff off that shouldn't be turned off. Which makes me wonder if they're trying to make an end run for Terra to turn off the Golden Throne. That would be <laughs> so, interesting. So you still might get your wish.
0: We'll see. Uh, I also have my concerns with the Priya book because as much as I've liked sisters in the past, I don't need a sister that has a Harlequin helping her out be the push for another army
2: <laughs> well to be fair that's a those are characters from a 20 year old graphic novel so like if they hasn't pushed you to buy a new army yet you've been, it's been out for a couple of decades and you're fine
0: they didn't yeah. have models and actually
2: she did have a model once upon a time and I, I haven't read the book either but and they are re-releasing the book in concert with pariah being released
0: because we've already discussed most of us have too many armies and some of us yeah. don't know how much space we have. Well,
2: well Dennis, if they are released as a set, I will split it with you so you don't have to have the <laughs> Sister of
0: Battle. I like Sisters of Battle is the them.
2: Yeah, but if you don't need the tem if you don't need the temptation, because I'm definitely not starting a Harlequin's army. Just gonna put that out there right now. I, I we will we will solve each other's problems together. <laughs>
0: Or we could just let you start Harlequins. and
2: No, no, nope, nope. <laughs> no. You want a painting <laughs> challenge, right? No, I've got, I've got enough models for painting. I, no, I don't need your help. <laughs> ah. uh, speaking of painting, this is a perfect time to transition over to hobby progress. I have set up some models to get ready to touch up the priming on them and then get painting. I, I have since finishing shadow sun, I kind of took a little bit of time off painting. Although I did do a little bit of reading. I finished reading books two and three in the Gaunt's ghost series. So ghost maker and, uh, yeah, ghost maker and, uh, necropolis I finished. And Th- necropolis is a phenomenal book. And I know a lot of people apparently consider it one of the best of the Gaunt's ghost books. And, uh, I would definitely recommend reading th- those three because like Necropolis is good, but you need the first two to kind of really set the the characters up for you. And all three are available in a uh, in a book like an omnibus called The Founding which is specifically the first three Gaunt's Ghost books. So if you have not read them, um, they are, they are fantastic and it is a very human level book. There are like, this is all guard there. Like there's an inquisitor that shows up at one point or actually there's a number of inquisitors that show up at various points throughout the books. Uh, there's no space Marines, although there are chaos space Marines. Um, there's a, a chapter where a space, guardsman scout has to face off against a hell brute <laughs> <laughs> Oof. and it does not end the way you think that is going that that is going to end when it's described but it's also a lot like a lot of characters die now i understand like later on in the series some of the named character, like the the important named characters die, but like early on in the ghost series, like here's named characters who actually get like some story focus. And then here's a guy who we've just been introduced to. Yeah. He's a red shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Like there are very few like just random characters that get mentioned that like survive in that, in their sweats. And it is, it is gory and messy deaths. Um, bolt weapons and las weapons do horrible, horrible wounds to people. So, uh, yeah, but not as bad as the
0: the Necron weapons. Oh my god.
2: No, no, yeah. not not quite that bad, but there's still some pretty bad ones. Um, but uh but no, uh the Gonsco series is highly recommended and Abnett's a fantastic writer. And so that that's my hobby progress as I I finished uh, two books over the last uh, couple of weeks.
1: I haven't really done much hobby-wise um other than just I got my 3D printers back up and running and I think I mentioned Last time that I was printing stuff, which will go towards price support and terrain for next year's Midwest Conquest, uh, I've been continuing to work on that. That's kind of been my that's kind of been my hobby.
0: Let's see. For me, well, care must love me recently because the last order I got came in, so I have now a KR4 backpack um, along with more boxes, and that got almost all of my stuff into boxes, and so I ordered more care. KR- boxes to get the rest of the stuff in so i'm still packing up and getting all my armies in foam
3: i haven't really done anything i'm i'm hotly anticipating getting the the new gas Gol model and and you know gonna be ready to to put him together and and paint him
2: yeah i mean have you managed to get your hands on a prophecy of the wolf yet
3: uh i've i've ordered one um and it should be uh, i believe uh uh the store messaged me and told me that it was and i just haven't gotten a chance to go get it yet oh cool
0: so i can toss in and i'll be getting some space soon so
3: yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> well cool cool so uh So things you will be able to make hobby progress eventually. Yes. All right. And then that takes us to the last part of the show, which is the morale phase in which we talk about something not necessarily 40K related that has just been a a bright spot for us recently. And uh, Kevin, you have one to bring up.
1: Yeah. So actually a big reason why I haven't done any hobby progress recently is Avatar The Last Airbender came back on Netflix, I think about a week and a half ago, and I just completed it last night. Again. And it's very rare to have something that's like that old and granted like it's not that old, I guess 15 years since it started that I watched a long time ago and then hadn't seen in a while hold up so well. Like it's, it's amazing because the story still holds up. It doesn't feel like it falls into any negative stereotypes or tropes or any of the stuff like it, It's a show that stars a bunch of, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old kids on this adventure. It could very easily fall into being a very cutesy kid show, and it 100% does not. Like, it still has some of those moments, but they're played for levity and and things like that. And it's just – it was such a joy to go back to it and and having it hold up as well as I remember it doing. Because the last (laughs) – the last avatar or the last airbender thing that I had watched was the film. I'm sorry. and oh my god, that is that is probably the worst film I've ever seen. Like it just it's nonsensical, it's bad. it's it's whitewashed. it's it's bad on like every level. so it's really it was really a joy to get back to watching the original cartoon and seeing it hold up so well and the characters being so fully fleshed out and like it's a show that for a kids show that's explicitly targeted at kids it was on nickelodeon it stars like i said a bunch of 12 13 14 year old kind of preteens it has a lot for a show that's targeted at that demographic um you know it's a it's a narrative or it's a serialized story so it's You know, episode to episode, everything's changing and building on each other. It asks a lot of hard questions. It doesn't shy away from topics such as like murder, genocide, totalitarianism, fascism. Like it deals with a lot of things that you don't normally see kids entertainment dealing with. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's fantastic.
0: So Kevin, are you going to make a, um, cabbage cart for one of your chaos cultists?
1: Uh, maybe because that guy is friggin' amazing. <laughs> My cabbage. No, no, it's, uh, yeah. That's <laughs> no, just all and those it, little things. Cause so it had been probably 10 years since I've seen it, you know, because well, it's yeah, been I mean, off of, it's been off of Netflix for a long time. It's, it's not been widely available streaming. So it had been a while since I'd seen it. And it's just, it was such a joy to go back and rewatch it and realize that it still holds up.
2: Yeah, and I mean, yeah, this was this is a series that was made um, in 2005 through 2008, and to kind of put that in perspective, around that time, like, kids entertainment was primarily stuff like Spongebob. Yeah. And also, you know, another show done by Nickelodeon, so the idea that you'd have something this this deep, but again, without feeling overwrought – Like it doesn't feel faux deep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's just, it's one of those where it just really amazes me how much it asks of its audience, knowing that its audience is kids, you know, it's yeah, it's great. (laughs)
2: Yeah. And it's like, yeah, there are characters who absolutely die. No question about it. They absolutely die, you know, and uh, uh, sometimes in heroic sacrifices and sometimes just tragically, um, and like you said, there's there's some, like, real-world political issues that get addressed in very, like, upfront manners. Yeah. But at the no, same it, time, yeah, like you said, it, it never loses sight that it is a kid's show and does balance it very well. So, yeah, no, I totally agree with your assessment there.
1: Yeah. So, it's uh, if you have Netflix, watch it. It's great. It still holds up as well as you remember it. It's, yeah, it's
2: fantastic. Uh, now, there is a follow-up series called The Legend of Korra, which takes place um, years, like decades later. Yeah. Um, it has a bit more, It it it's still a very good series. It has a bit more of a mixed reaction from fans. There's some people who absolutely do not like it. There's some people who really love it. Some people enjoy it even more than the original. Uh, one of the reasons it doesn't hold up as well is because... Unlike the first series, Avatar The Last Airbender, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender, they had a story arc that they were going to follow the whole Wraith through. They had three seasons. Mm-hmm. They knew they had three seasons in which to tell it. And so that allowed them to very cleanly pace out their storyline and their, their storytelling to give you episodes that would be like palate cleansers, episodes that would be mostly lighthearted, but move you a little bit in the story. And then some very uh, major story episodes you know to kind of that would really push the plot forward cora has the issue of every season they didn't know if they were going to be if they would be canceled or not so they had to do basically four contiguous storylines but each storyline had to be completely self-contained and so uh even though the series runs for like uh Avatar The Last End, Airbender ran for three seasons, sixty-one episodes. Korra ran for fifty-two episodes over four years, so the seasons are shorter, and they had to be self-contained, and they and so the storytelling doesn't flow quite as well. But it's also still quite good. But I don't, I don't know if it hits those issues as well yeah. as the original. Yeah, it did so. I?
3: I also had the problem of it. It it got hard to to follow towards the end because Nickelodeon just stopped playing it before it was over.
2: Yeah. They – about halfway through season three, they moved it to an online-only series. Right. And then season four was completely online-only. So, yeah, it's – people did not get that connection to it. And that's – a number of cartoon-focused networks have done that where like, oh, this series – you like this series? We're going to completely script the distribution. So, it becomes very hard to follow. Yeah.
1: And, like, even now, like, one of the issues with it, like, I i haven't started watching it yet because it's not all available in one place. Like, part of it's on CBS All Access. Part of it is available through, I want to say Amazon has a, uh, has, like, an anime, sub, like, sub channel that you can subscribe to that has it on there. Like, has the last two seasons. Uh, it's not even though it was available on the Nickelodeon, the nick.com website, I don't think it's there anymore. So like, it is hard. It is hard to find, which, uh, which is disappointing, but, uh, at least avatar though, is, is, is all available now on Netflix. And yeah, it's, I don't, it's go watch it. It's really good.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And, And in both series, like the main cast may not be big name, voice actors, but yeah. a lot of the, you know, what'd you say? Stunt casting for a lot of the, yeah, the they, villains? they do
1: the, they do the, the, the Marvel, like the Marvel superhero movie, like stunt cast the villain type thing. Uh, cause like in, especially in avatar, uh, Jason Isaacs does the voice of Admiral Zhao in season one. And then the ultimate stunt casting, they got the Joker himself to do uh fire Lord Ozai. So, you know the the big the big big names come in for the villains, uh, whereas the anonymity of the rest of the voice cast actually really plays into it because you you think of these characters as the character and not necessarily the voice actors, uh, yeah. which can be a problem in like especially in like a lot of big budget animated movies. They go through and they stunt cast Will Smith as the main character or or so and so as the you know as that, and then they make the character an animated version of the celebrity they cast And it's, it can be distracting.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And yes, the less said about the, the live action version, the better just don't, not even if you're how like painting. How did curious they make about.
1: Appa look so bad? Like that's actually one of the things that like really like threw me off. Appa is like this really awesome, cute flying Buffalo thing. And he is a Lovecraftian nightmare. <laughs> In the film. (laughs) It's just so weird. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's possible to do a worse live action version of a anything, but B, especially this.
2: (laughs) I will, I will say, and I mentioned before recording, um, my parents had not watched the original avatar the last airbender, but they went to see the movie out of morbid curiosity and they walked out. It was, it was just fundamentally bad.
1: So, I've joked in here and we've talked a little bit, I don't online or I don't know if that's actually made on episodes or not, if you've cut it out, but that I went and saw the cats movie out of morbid curiosity as well. And I will not recommend anybody go see the cats movie at all because it's garbage. If you have to gun to your head, watch the last airbender or cats go see cats.
2: Wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't, don't, don't see either of them. Cause they're both garbage fires. But yeah, I would choose Cats over
2: Last Airbender. Just saying, there's probably no butthole cut of Last Airbender. (laughs)
1: God, I hope not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, yeah, I think we're done. Yeah, I think we're done I think from there We can just go Um, So So yes uh, It's been quite a Quite a weekend To With a lot of information To chew on And it sounds like The next few weeks We'll have lots to talk about Including hopefully next episode We can talk about Engine War Yeah Which will be cool But yeah uh, So in a couple of weeks We'll have a lot to talk about But but until then From all of us here At Preferred Enemies I'm Rob Kevin, Kevin Dennis And Richard Good night Good gaming And good gosh We got a new edition coming